0: the fossil fuels of the ai age are this this huge sort of treasure trove of wisdom and content that was saved on the human internet right uh and not just the not just the internet but the books and the research papers and the movies and all of this stuff right it's just this huge mother load of content all of these additional constraints on human governments like the fact that they you know have to keep the police happy, they have to keep the military happy, they have to prevent there being a mass protest, riots, and, and like, the media, and, you know, all of these, like, constraints, as you introduce AI into the picture, oh, we'll replace the police with drones, we'll replace the military with drones, uh, we'll, you know, control all the press using automated censorship algorithms, Um, you know, like, they basically take all of the controls off of the government.
1: Hi, hi, welcome, welcome. This is the From the New World podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Rocco Miech, his second time on the show. Today, we're discussing the pace of artificial intelligence growth, so-called Vladimir Putin alignment, or how systems are aligned in practice rather than in theory, civilizational collapse, why it'll be harder to build up civilization a second time, the dangers of AI as used by state actors, government failure as either an incentive problem or as a human nature problem, and what he plans to do in order to solve it. It was a thoroughly enjoyable episode for me, and I hope it is for you too. If it is, then the best way to help the show is to let a friend know, either in person or online. For many people, nothing beats your recommendation specifically. And I'd be very glad if you help us out that way. Without further ado, here's Rocco Miech. Glad to have you on the show again, Rocco. So let's start off. (laughs) Let's start off. What is Vladimir Putin alignment?
0: Well, glad you asked. Uh, this is something I've stolen from uh, Buck at Redwood Research, um, who who does AI alignment work. But it's something I've thought about, you know, many years ago as well. Which is just the simple idea that, um, you know, if you have um, someone like Vladimir Putin, who is basically the uh, pretty much the dictator of Russia. Um, you know, he, he sort of, like, has some formal democratically elected positions, but that's all kind of, like, for show. He's basically the dictator. Um, you know, he is able to um, control uh, Russia and get, you know, millions of men to, like, go and die in wars for him and stuff like that. Um, but he doesn't have, like, some fancy... Um, mechanistic interpretability sort of you know some kind of super mathy way of aligning people he just has like a, a sort of grab bag of tricks like you know he controls the media and he controls the military and he controls the intelligence services and you know there are different branches of the military and he sets them up such that they uh they have you know like they can't coordinate with each other. They have like rivalries between, you know, the, the full military and the uh PMCs, the private military corporations. It's just basically this grab bag of population control tricks that allows Vladimir Putin to control Russia, which has like a combined IQ of over a billion. I mean if you just sort of like add up all of the, you know, and I know this is completely meaningless, you know. Well not Right, not, right.
1: It's just a game right? of numbers. Like, but the idea is there.
0: Yeah, like you know, e-
1: even just on the individual level, we can say this is how I would pitch it: is yeah. that you know what are the odds Putin is the smartest man in Russia? Yeah, exactly. You know, de- like they still have some pretty good isn't. physicists. You know, 100%. at like um, at uh, Saint Petersburg State or whatever. You yeah. know, they're they're probably like higher IQ than Vladimir Putin, and yet Putin's yes. the one in charge. You know, it's it, it's you not can, the you high can, IQ
0: physicist. Yes you can you can even yeah. do a calculation on this you know putin's iq which is estimated to be you know in the sort of 120s or something there's like a, a couple of million russians million who are more intelligent than him and he's controlling them all right if you're a random smart intellectual in st petersburg and you have like a, a couple of million of your smart intellectual friends and people who work in businesses and universities and all this stuff you're still you still can't overrule Putin. Putin overrules you, he taxes you, he spends your money to buy himself uh, expensive DACAs. Um, you know, he, he's he's in charge, right? And and like, you know, the the ways that the methods that he uses to be in charge are not like, you know, timeless decision theory or some super wow, you know, snazzy math. It's just like a, a grab bag of control tricks to do with how he sets up the structure of Russia and um, that such that he's he's basically at the top of that sort of pyramid.
1: Yeah, and the big divide here is sort of between um an engineering mindset or kind of like like a state building mindset, yeah. And you know, pure math. We're not, you know, Russia uh, like Russia is not run by pure math. It's yes. not run by a kind of complete calculation it, of what everyone's <coughs> up to. Exactly, it's, it's run it's, it's by it's in... run by force.
0: Right, and it, well. I mean, it's not even run by force because like, if it was just physical force, if Putin was going to go in and like beat people with his fists, he would lose. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He would, again, it's like a buck, a buck from red research point. He would lose a physical fight against the people of Russia, but, but he's yet he's, he's in charge, right? Like it's almost, it's almost crazy to think about it. Like, you know, if, if sort of like, if the whole structure was like reset at some point, there's no way that the people of Russia would just be like, oh, let's go back to Putin because that was so great, right? Um, It's just that he's in charge. He has, you know, a few people who are personally loyal to him in a few key positions. And then he has some people who, you know, are like doing what he wants for instrumental reasons because they think they're going to do better out of it and so on and so forth. So basically, and and, you know, it's not even, it's not, he doesn't even have neuroscientists. Like you might think if you take... AI sort of alignment as an analogy to population alignment. Um, that there might be a team of neuroscientists and psychologists who work for the dictator, and like occasionally, you know, do like sort of like, force surgery on people to like examine their brains or do MRI scans to tell if they're like. I don't think he has any of yeah, that. Yeah, they're,
1: they're detecting he... the neuron activations. Yeah, they're not. They're not right.
0: They're not. No, yeah, actually...
1: yeah they're, I agree. I agree. They're not. They're not up to that. Yeah,
0: they, they don't use mechanistic interpretability like actual dictators. When, you know, their lives and and the lives of their families are on the line, do not use mechanistic interpretability on other humans who they want to keep loyal. What do they use? Well, you know, they just use the standard stuff. They look at the things those people are saying. They 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 have like a secret service that will listen to people's uh, calls that they think are private. Um, you know, they have like these incentive systems where you have the official military and the PMCs, and then you have the army and the Marines and all of these different branches that are actually in competition with each other. So there's, you know, no one of them wants to actually try and launch a coup. They basically make it difficult for the rest of the country to coordinate. And in some places, you know, this has been done extraordinarily well, like North Korea, um... You know, if you think about the degree of misalignment between, uh, what Kim Jong-il wants and what the people of North Korea want, it's massive. You know, he basically starves them to death. Like, he's using them as his, like, personal slave force, um, and, and causing them, like, untold amounts of misery. But, you know, they just can't coordinate to kick him out. Um, and so... This sort of implies that AI control, not AI alignment, is really easy and really powerful. Actually, um, because you know the pos- the position of the human uh, sort of AI company or AI research or whatever <clears throat> who's in charge of a population of maybe trillions of AIs that are living on these you know GPUs is actually way stronger than the position of the dictator who's trying to rule a country. Because you can do all of these things programmatically. You can have, like, you know, 27 nested levels of of spy agencies if you want, right? Like, you know, you just have way more tools, um, even just in the control area, before you even get into, uh, you know, alignment and reinforcement learning and stuff like that. Um,
1: right. So,
0: you know, the, the sort of, the, the idea here is basically that... Um, People who are radically pessimistic about our ability to control at least marginally smarter than human AI are just sort of pretty clearly wrong.
1: Right, right. So, so one counter-argument would be something like, you know, this might work with people who are, you know, three or four standard deviations smarter than you, but maybe not like 50, right? Mm. But
0: maybe you don't need to control the AIs that are 50 standard deviations smarter than you, because what you actually need to do is use the ones that are marginally superhuman AGIs. So so just sort of marginally smarter than the average human, or maybe not marginally smarter than the average, marginally smarter than the smartest humans, right? So you can imagine the sort of, um, you know, the Harvard grad, the the MIT grad level human, and you just go a little bit smarter than that, right? Um, and you could probably control those with the whole Vladimir Putin alignment stuff. Um, and you can make a trillion of them, right? Or Right, or, or, right. Or I think this is a right?
1: pretty important observation because it is also what OpenAI is doing now, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what they mean by super alignment. Uh, I'll have this in the show notes. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm trying to get one of the people working on that to, to mm-hmm. come on the podcast. Uh, I hope he will, but... Uh, The idea is that, you know, uh, they plan, this is their, you know, this is their um, business plan, at least, to have an AI that is smarter than humans. Mm -hmm. And to kind of prepare for that, they're trying to get, you know, two, two AIs, one that's more, the one that has more compute, that's essentially better. And one that has less compute and they're trying to, you know, give the smaller one techniques to control the larger one. Mm-hmm. Right. So so you might think of it as trying to get, you know, chat GPT or like GPT-2 to control GPT-3. That's not exactly what they're doing, but, you know, it, it's it's close enough. Yeah. And this kind of, do you know what you should do? We should make like, I'll have this, maybe this will be the thumbnail because there's going to be thumbnails for this podcast now. Mm-hmm. It'll be like the domino meme. And it'll be, like, just slightly, slightly increasing AIs. It'll be, like, GPT-2, GPT-3, yeah. GPT-4. And that's how you get the kind of, you know, Putin-esque control mechanism to work. Yes.
0: And 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 the level, like, you know, the level of AI that's next, that's above that, <clears throat> you know, may not be based on neural networks. It may be based on an entirely different paradigm. And basically, you can think of it almost as... Uh, you know, kind of like how you make a fusion bomb, um, you first set off a chemical reaction which compresses a uranium bomb. The uranium bomb goes off and ignites a bunch of, um, you know, foam up to like, you know, like 30 million degrees Kelvin, which emits a, a bunch of like hard gamma radiation and x-rays. And that hard gamma radiation x-rays goes and like, you know, heats up the fusion bomb and the fusion bomb is like where you actually get most of the meat from and then you know so so our our sort of strategy for AI alignment may be that the the chemical explosive is like this team of human AI researchers uh, the first nuke is sort of like the um, you know Gpt6, level, uh, neural network-based AGI. And all that you do with that population of of a trillion GPT-6 instances is you use them to design the next stage. And the next stage maybe has nothing to do with neural networks. The next stage could be something completely different, or it could be, you know, radically different types of neural networks. One thing I've been thinking about is, um, you know, changing gradient descent so that it's sort of much more biased to find uh, clean, sparse networks rather than sort of messy ones, right? Um, and, you know, if you had like 30 trillion, like su- super MIT grads, uh, you know, running at, at like high speed, they could probably, you know, flesh proposals like that out. And, and if they if they work, then they could make them, uh, you know, a reality. So, you know, it, it may actually look like the, the first stage may basically look quite messy, quite, um, you know, just whatever works. And that the results from that first stage may be a plan, a robust and sort of, you know, clear plan for how to get to the second stage. And the second stage may look nothing like neural networks. It may have a completely different uh, set of properties in terms of uh, alignment and misalignment risks. You know, ideally, that second stage of AIs would be extremely strongly aligned uh, and wouldn't rely upon... um, you know these sort of like stochastic methods where you sort of uh you, you you kind of you kind of create a language model and then you sort of um you, you kind of like you sort of stroke the shoggoth you put the little smiley face on the shoggoth right
1: right you're you're all the all the statistical yeah. inference methods are essentially like they're they're all probability distributions right and yeah. you're just hoping it stays in the center of the probability distribution but you don't actually know if that'll happen <clears throat> yeah um I mean, you have probabilities on it, obviously. But with something like an LLM, it's not so. Yeah. So, so
0: the the second stage probably won't be anything like LLMs. I mean, that's just my hypothesis. Or maybe that's fascinating.
1: Wait, maybe it will
0: um, be, but but they'll just be very, very different in terms of, um, in terms of like how they're actually architected. Um, so, you know, there may be like quite a strong trade-off between how you architect these things if you're just going for the simplest possible thing that will work. I mean, think about the simplest possible nuclear bomb that works, right? It's basically, um, a sort of, um, a hole made out of uranium and a, a pellet made out of uranium, and you shoot the pellet into the hole, uh, literally with an artillery, uh, cannon, right? And, um, you know, there's like, This this method is not fully reliable. There is some probability of a fizzle when you do this, um, because it's just like a really primitive way of doing things. Because when it goes in, there's (coughs) there's a small probability that as it (coughs) as it goes in, excuse me, um, you know, there's there's like some probabilistic chance that you get a few too many neutrons and the thing actually explodes before it's fully assembled, um, and that's called a fizzle. So you know, the 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 very first um, sort of like marginally superhuman AGIs that we make are probably going to be kind of messy in terms of their, how they're architected. And the ways that we control them are probably going to look kind of messy in terms of, you know, this Vladimir Putin alignment where you have, like, there's the workers, and then there's the spy agency that spies on the workers, and there's the meta-spy Right Before,
1: before we, we get to that future, point, yeah. right, I'm interested in what ex- what architecture is exactly you think will be the future. Because even looking at, like, academic research right now, um, most of the most of the new papers that you know claim to have some kind of improvement, right, are just like slightly different transformers, mm-hmm. like uh, switch transformers and such. Mm. That are that I, I don't think escape the same kind of like statistical inference problems that you're talking about right now.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you have to go a long way back in the um, evolutionary tree of machine learning before you find anything remotely resembling fully reliable systems, right? I think people are people are still trying to really get MNIST classifiers to be fully reliable and right. But but there is some progress there. So you know they sort of like but I I think personally, I think it will involve heavy modifications to how gradient descent works. Um, where your, your gradient descent optimizer will either be optimizing for a very complicated auxiliary loss function. So the, the simple version of this is, you know, you just, you, instead of an L2 loss, you have an L1 loss, right? So you you um, penalize some constant times the sum of the absolute values of all of the weights. And when you penalize the L1 loss, it actually makes these numbers oh, pass.
1: okay. So I, I was very confused because, at least in podcast land, like, L1, L2 maps to, like, you know, layer 1, layer 2, and not, like, the norms. L1. Yeah, I was confused, I was confused. Norm. We mean, we mean yeah. the L1 norm, the L1 basically, norm, like, summing the distances. The, yeah,
0: yeah, the sum of the absolute values of the coefficients, uh, you know, in, in the neural network. <coughs> uh, some okay, in, in, like, layman's terms, yeah. what's the... Why does this matter? So, um... You can you can have a neural network where so so when 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 you when you do any kind of like machine learning stuff, there's this bias variance trade-off where you know if you make the model like too flexible, it just sort of like um, you know goes and like memorizes the training set and it's not good. But if you make it too inflexible, it like can't learn stuff. And so you're generally a machine learning. Right, right. Model. This is where people the term have,
1: like oh this is what like overfitting means. Yeah,
0: right. People yeah. have people have these regularization techniques to prevent overfitting. Um, and so one of them is the L2 loss, which is where you, uh, basically you take, well, we're going to say how well did you do on the training set, right? But we're also going to penalize you. So, so, you know, we, like sum up the mistakes on the training set. So that's the sum of your mistakes, but you also add Lambda times the sum of the squares of the weights in the network. So, you know, and Lambda is like a free parameter that you sort of tune, like, you know, is it, is it too big, is it too small? Um, and if you, um, if, if you use this L2 uh, regularization, basically, it's it sort of, because they're squared, when you have a small number and you square it, it gets a lot smaller, right? So this allows the network to be very dense, right? Basically, everything's connected to everything else, kind of like hippie hippie vibes, right? You know, everything affects everything, right? Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the L1 loss, when you just sum up the absolute values, you know, it turns out that the vast majority of these connections are actually sort of meaningless. They, they actually sort of not not a useful connection. L1 loss, when you just add up the absolute values, so, you know, you turn negatives into positives, so it's always a positive sum that you're adding up. It always gets larger as you add more of these connections. The network will tend to make most connections, most weights in the network will, will be zero, right? Um, yeah yeah so it, so l1 regularization makes the network sparse or at least it, it can do that or it often does that
1: um, yeah if you think of it this way um, because the l2 l2 norm is just like the the distance mm-hmm. right like if you're if, you know if you think back this is for the audience obviously if you think back to like I don't know ninth grade math or whatever and you have like two points on a grid and you're trying to find the distance that's that's what the l2 norm means it's like yeah. the distance between two points and then L, um, L1 is Manhattan distance. Yeah, 10, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So basically
0: when you have a triangle with a with a long side and a very little short side, um, you know, the the, the difference between just the short side and the hypotenuse is almost nothing, right? Um but with, with Manhattan distance, like every little extra turn you have to do counts because you can't like walk through a block, right? You can't walk you can't like walk diagonally across a across a block. Um,
1: yeah, and I don't know, at least on a theoretical level. I'm not sure how much of a difference it makes on practical results. But on a theoretical level, it means that you're really prioritizing... Um, with the L2 norm, you're really prioritizing like the bigger the bigger weights or like the bigger um, coefficients. Yeah. Whereas for the L1 norm, it's kind of more equal. Or, yes, or in but, fact, you're yeah, literally what, giving them equal weight.
0: Yeah, but, but what tends to happen in practice is um, L, L1 makes things sparse, right? Because it turns out that... Um, you know, yeah, because if you're
1: has... d- if you're prioritizing like the smaller weights more, then yeah. like then, then you then, you then fire the small yeah. weight reducing laser at them.
0: Right. yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so you, you sort of get rid of you get rid of the you know, l l one makes things sparse because it turns out that there are a few important connections and those get you a lot of a lot of the meat of the move if you like, um, and then these little ones are sort of not really worth very much. So when you actually count everything as equally costly, uh, it makes the small ones go away. Anyway, so the point of that is if you use L1 regularization, you can make your network sparse um now why would you care about making a neural network sparse so getting rid of mo- so sparse means most of the weights are set to zero right you know there's yep. like one like one in a million weights are non-zero and they're quite big and the other 999,999 of them are zero well you know a sparse network is probably going to be a little bit easier to understand right it's going to be it's less of a mess it's cleaner right um but but it's yeah and, of-
1: and it's a huge compute save yeah, like, exactly. there, there are uh, algorithms for computing yeah. sparse uh, matrix. Sparse, yeah. sparse matrix multiplications that are much more efficient than, you know, the, the yeah. dense matrix multiplication.
0: <clears throat> so, I mean, my, my suspicion is, you know, this is just a personal hunch. My suspicion is that there will be lots of other things you can do that you can modify the cost function uh, in gradient descent so that it prefers networks that not only get the right answer, but also have a bunch of other properties that you like so sparsity right is right um, i, I want to
1: kind of connect this back because i still don't get how like sparse networks solve the statistical inference problem right like take like okay. mixture of experts yeah. right mixture of experts transformers essentially a variation of you know the existing models that we use on stuff like uh gpt4 mm-hmm. right it's more sparse um in, in fact it like that helps with compute that's a big mm-hmm. save there uh from using mixture of experts and mm-hmm. you know less compute uh, less compute load means that you can train it more, and this or make the use more parameters, and then this makes the model um, th- this makes the model more accurate, at least in theory. Mm-hmm. And you know that that is probably a net good, right? It's making making the model more efficient, but it still does not solve the statistical inference problem, right? So, um, h- how do we get there, right? How how do we get to this kind of endpoint?
0: Um, well, I think probably sparseness or sparsity alone doesn't get you everything you need um fair enough but it's like a small step in the right direction because you've you've gone from a network that's dense that's really hard to understand to a sparse network that's maybe a little bit easier to understand and maybe you can modify the cost function in some other ways so um you know one of when you go to like mnist uh classifiers that they're trying to make robust against adversarial inputs Um, they alternate, uh, gradient descent between actually trying to get the right answer. And then you have another round of, um, being penalized for, um, being vulnerable to adversarial inputs, uh, gradient based adversarial attacks. And they interleave these sort of like a round of learning, a round of, uh, defense, a round of learning, a round of defense. And they sort of interleave these, um, and, and the, the end result of that is, a classifier for MNIST, which is just, you know, handwritten digit recognition, the
1: simplest, basically the simplest possible interest. Yeah. Oh yeah. I should have, I should have done that for the audience too. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. M-
0: M- MNIST is this data set that Yann can sort of put together of, um, you know, handwritten digits, like one, two, three, four, pixelated. Um, and, you know, when you get started programming neural networks or, you know, training neural networks, not programming them. Um, You—that's probably the first problem because it's really—it's—it's it's really
1: small. Yeah, yeah. Right? MNIST was my first problem in like mm-hmm. 2017.
0: Yeah, so, man,
1: th- those were the days. Um,
0: so yeah. So basically, but you know, these—if you do an MNIST classifier, we're using a dense neural network. Um, or or any kind of neural network you can use a convnet whatever um, it will be vulnerable to, to adversarial gradient based attacks so an adversarial attack would be like you draw a two right? and the network should classify that as a 2. But, you know, somebody else can, like, draw a 2 and then, like, very, very slightly modify it so it still looks exactly like a 2, and the network will classify it as, like, a 7 or a 9 or an 8. Or something.
1: Yeah, think for the uh, audience, think of it as, like, an optical illusion. Yes, optical illusion. Right? You change the shading optical, a little, and it looks like it, something it is, completely different.
0: Like, yeah, but it's, like, way worse than an optical illusion.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, but it's different than <laughs> the human ones, right? You know? Yeah, and, um, and, they're, and they're very they're very. For a human, it's like, it's, like, there's barely any difference. It's, like, not even noticeable. It's kind of beautiful. And the way that these things work, I always find this so so fascinating, is that the way that neural networks work is that, you know, they compute something called a loss function, which is like, you know, basically a statistic, uh, an indicator of what's going wrong. And, you know, if you're trying to make the neural network better, you can go in the direction of like fixing the problem. But if you're, like a, if you're, like, a different person who's trying to take advantage of the neural network, right, all you need to do is, like, flip the sign on that. All you need yeah. to do is go in exactly the opposite yeah, ba- direction.
0: Yeah, basically, you find, like... And it's like, just so
1: easy to yeah. generate these adversarial inputs. Yeah. This, this I think, is like, like, Riley Goodside is up to this on, yeah. like, some of the GPT stuff now. Yes, um, this is, this is, this it's this so thing, funny.
0: This is a gradient-based attack because um, <clears throat> the way the attack works, you say, is you basically take the gradient of the loss function and and, you know, instead of, like, trying to make uh, try and make it better. You deliberately try and make it worse. And, you know, because like high dimensional spaces are sort of like counterintuitive, right. Very counterintuitive. Um, you know, and the, the parameter space of even a small neural network is like ginormously large. It's like, you know, your, your, your MNIST classified network probably has like 30,000 neurons or something. Right. Um, or, uh, you know, and like hundreds, uh, hundred thousand, uh, like uh, connections or so. I, I don't know. I mean, it de- depends. It could could even be a bit more than that, like a million or something. I don't know.
1: No, if it was um, thirty thousand neurons, it'd be a lot more than a hundred. Well, uh,
0: yeah, okay. So right. I mean, if it's if it's um, but, but, yeah, but there, like, there are
1: like smaller mnist. Networks. You can
0: you can probably right. you can probably be smaller than that. But like you're probably in at least like ten thousand dimensional Euclidean space or something. Um, but at mm-hmm. least from 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 sort of memory. So so those those kind of spaces and and like you know, if you're in an LLM, right, the, the, you know, the the 70 billion one, that's 70 billion parameters. So in that case, you'd be in 70 billion dimensional Euclidean space. Um, And these, these spaces are sort of counterintuitive. Um, Like you would think that moving a small amount in exactly the right direction can't be as good as moving like a large amount in almost the right direction, but you know, in these high-dimensional spaces, stuff like that does happen, and this is why these like small, like you know, small moves in the right direction can can get you from the from the right class to the wrong class, and the classes are all sort of tangled up right in high-dimensional space. Everything becomes very spiky in high-dimensional space, um, so you have some kind of blob of you know um, things that will get classified as. Uh, As like twos and but it's kind of like has these tendrils that go out a long way and sort of you know like get very close to things that will be classified as nines or eights or sevens um and so yeah i mean this these high dimensional spaces are sort of nasty um when it comes to doing security but uh with the MNIST classifiers they have made A significant amount of progress not full progress but they have made them significantly more robust to adversarial attacks and the way they did it was by modifying gradient descent so that it goes in phases like one phase of being better at classifying a second phase of being attacked by gradient-based attacks and then trying to be robust to that right and then another phase of learning they sort of interleave these and eventually you do get a classifier that's much more robust to all possible gradient-based attacks so i mean this is like a that's very, interesting.
1: Is it some like ad- adversarial algorithm? Is it like you know generative adversarial networks? Um, I think it's For, yeah. for well, the it's, audience, it's, that's it's, like it's a not. lot of the early image generation. Yeah.
0: So um the I think the attacker isn't um, being trained. Right. The attacker is just a, just does a gradient based attack. At each. Okay. Okay. I way. see what you mean. Um, yeah. But the defender is being trained, so it's like GANs, but only one side is actually being trained. Um, at least i think that's how they do it. i've only skimmed this stuff but but the the connection that i made there was that everything you want to do to make a neural network based system better in terms of safety involves messing with how gradient descent works involves adding an auxiliary loss function or you know training for um the some combination of two different objectives with your know, interleaving or something like that <clears throat> so i think Personally, I think if it is going to be neural networks, I think that's going to continue, and I think people will have to um, come up with, um, you know, computationally efficient auxiliary objectives that actually improve um, the safety of the thing, it, um, you know, so make make it sort of less um, prone to like prompt injection, all this, uh, all of these possible attacks, right? Um, yeah, but I, but I I don't know exactly what that computationally efficient, sec, you know, auxiliary loss function for security would actually be, you know, I mean, that would require a significant amount of, of actual cutting edge research, which I don't personally want to do, because I think there are more important things to work on right now. But if I was going to do research to make neural networks safe, um, that's what I would probably attack.
1: Oh, that's really interesting because there are some people who argue the opposite, right? Like Nora Belrose from mm-hmm. uh, Elucer argues that like the fact that they're so vulnerable to these kind of simple attacks makes like AGI takeover or like ASI takeover, uh, artificial superintelligence, makes it less likely, right? Because if it's taking over, then you just like give it the, you know, you give it the kill code, you give it right. the the exploit and it just, you know, self Yeah, but I mean,
0: by by that point, you know, things have already gone pretty badly wrong. Um, what you ideally want is you you don't want to get into a situation where this thing is actually successfully executing a kind of AI coup against humanity, right? You really want to be able to align it um, so that it will never do that, so that there's basically no set of possible inputs where it will do that, rather than like this huge, huge, huge set of possible like, like, exp- explosive inputs, because if you can do it, somebody else can do it, you see, right, imagine, imagine if, like, imagine if our military was subject to, um, this kind of attack, if there was, like, a certain set of words that somebody could say to the U.S. military, and it would just go rogue, and be like, oh, no, no, that's fine, you can just find your own different, uh, you know, like, code to, like, hack the military, like, so, no, no, that's, like, chaos, you, you don't want that, right? Um, You you want the military to be like super, super, super aligned. Um, You want to, you know, have common knowledge of what this thing will and will not do, um, you know, in order for things to not be a complete mess. Um, So, you know, I do think that maybe Nora is going a little bit uh, too far with that in that, yes, there would be the benefit of being able to say the magic word, and make the thing stop. But that means that everyone else can say the magic word and make it go again. And it's unclear how that game actually plays out. And it's very chaotic and probably has bad Nash equilibria.
1: Yeah. So I have not read the Eleuther uh, alignment papers in detail. Mm. So um, Nora, if you would like to come on the podcast and prove us wrong, you know, uh, (laughs) open invitations open. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I might, I might read the papers. Anyway, there's just, there's just a well, huge wh- whether, backlog. Whether
0: or not they say yeah. that, that is a logical point that needs to be addressed, which is maybe some people might think it's good that you can easily hack AIs with adversarial inputs, but I don't actually think it is. I think, you know, the ideal ASI system has a... It's kind of like the ideal... Uh, you know, imagine if anyone could just like hack into your computer and then you're like, no, no, it's okay. I'll hack back in, you know, no, 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 that's not, that's not okay. You know, you want your computer to like very strongly deterministically only allow you to access it and nobody else. And like, you know, if there was some incident where sort of a bad guy managed to take your credentials, like that's just the hit, that's just the, the price you pay for like deterministic, uh, sort of legible security.
1: Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I don't want to try to steel man it because, quite frankly, I've not I've not read all of the Luther stuff. But anyway, that, that's um, that's that's my my, my opinion... intuition. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this: my intuition is that it's kind of like it's bad from a sort of like normal damage prevention perspective, and it's like maybe still good from like a existential risk perspective. Right. Um.
0: Well. I mean, like, you you got to say, what's the second move in that game, though, right? Like, what's the third move? Like, after, once people realize they can say magic words to the AI and make it go crazy, like, how does that game end? Um,
1: it's sort of just annihilation, right, people? Yeah. It's, it's, like, yeah. it's dark forest-like. You just keep, you know, you just, like, blow up all of the AGIs that you see. <laughs> um, yeah. It, yeah, like, th- this is unfortunate in that it's, like, you know, you're you're messing, you're, like, basically destroying a lot of value. But it's not, it's not extinction. Yeah, well, Um, I mean,
0: it it might be extinction, though, if that that was the case, because somebody might have the bright idea of, you know, very quickly after they took control of the AI, trying to tell it to kill everyone else um, as a sort of preemptive strike to prevent them from actually taking back control, right? So these situations where offense has an advantage are unstable,
1: which is bad. Sure, sure um yeah i guess i guess it just depends on how fast so i
0: i don't think nora thought that through like nora is very smart at what you know what nora does but like i don't think that does not sound very thought through to me anyway
1: sure i I mean I, i do think the assumption that it like acts rapidly or acts before anyone can like kind of kill code it um but that, but
0: that, that's what people yeah. would be trying to do, right? Because that's the optimal strategy. Now, whether they can is another question. So maybe instead of trying to make it act quickly, they're making it act sneakily or something, right? I don't know. Sure, I mean, sure. this is a very strange sort of world and one that p- people will probably not want to go towards
1: because they yeah. don't want to go
0: towards that world in cybersecurity where like anyone can just access anything.
1: I mean, I mean, I had Josh Simon on the podcast. Um, I think a lot of cybersecurity people think that we are like pretty screwed in terms of a lot of control systems, but <laughs> uh, just just purely on the human level, just purely in terms of humans okay. breaking into systems run by other humans, right. um, we're pretty screwed on that level. Um, but, anyways, before we get to anything like that you you're talking about before we uh before we started or like yeah before we started we were talking about um other kind of like model developments that you might see Mm -hmm. and uh you told me you expected a kind of return to more simulation based or like search models right this is these are the kinds of algorithms that DeepMind was most known for for playing go or for play or for you know uh for protein folding, like a lot of these more open-ended, like self-supervised models, yes. right? Um,
0: yes, I think we are going back there eventually because the, you know, LLMs are kind of like um, coal-burning power stations. You know, the the fossil fuels of the AI age are this, this huge sort of treasure trove of wisdom and content that was saved on the human internet right uh and not just the not just the internet but the books and the research papers and the movies and all of this stuff right it's just this huge mother load of content that's very highly entangled with reality and with how things actually work and it's also a language for communicating and all this stuff so basically we just like the you know the the i want to call it the 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 sort of um the third industrial revolution, if you like, because there were actually two before. But yep. the, the third industrial revolution is going to be kicked off by this sort of digital fossil fuels, right? Just like the the first one yeah. was kicked off by. I think
1: I heard uh, Andrew Yang say that this is the fourth one, right? The third one is kind of like the personal computer and then this mm, is the fourth yeah. one. Yeah, I
0: mean, it, de- it depends exactly how you want yeah, to... Yeah, sorry, sorry, not I'm important. But, keep keep going. You know, this this new 21st century industrial revolution will be kicked off by these digital fossil fuels because everyone can suddenly... Basically, there's there's this thing called, they call the pile, which is just, you know, huge, yeah, huge yeah. terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of content uh, in, in the form of blogs and newspaper articles and books and all this internet content and research papers and everything. Right. Um, and that's a, that's incredibly valuable resource, which just wasn't around in in the 20th century. Right. Um, and so now that everyone has access to that, everyone's building their own little steam engines. Right. They're building these LLMs and, and, and stuff. Right. And also the image models as well, because there's not only is there a treasure trove of text, there's a treasure trove of images. And they both sort of appeared at roughly the same time. Um, uh, and the algorithms to actually use them, so hence we have you know the twenty first century industrial revolution of all these um generative uh, AI models, but you know even though we call them generative and they are generative in the technical sense, uh they are very much not generating any new ideas or let me sort of take that back up. they're not they 're not sort of generating like fundamentally new sort of um connections to reality they're all just riffing off what's already in that big treasure trove um and I think um, and, and you can sort of tell this when you ask one of these LMs about a topic that just really isn't on the internet, they're kind of dumb, right? Um, right,
1: right. It, it's difficult to kind of go through that. I, yeah. I do think the, the way I think about it is not really in terms of creativity, but it's sort of like,, um, it's it, it's sort of like there's documented uh, there, there, there's like detectable and undetectable. Traces of human behavior, Yeah, right? That when you get to the text world, you get to, you know, the world of explanations. Mm -hmm. You get to the world of justification Mm -hmm. and argument Mm -hmm. and consideration that is quite different or or not completely different, but does not contain all of, you know, normal human interaction, right? You know, LLMs are these kinds of, you know... It, it it's strange because they're very good at creating human like text patterns, mm-hmm. but do not coordinate them in the same way that a human would. Yeah. There's this kind of dark matter yeah, that yeah, yeah. is not detected. Yeah. And which and you can, you, can also,
0: you can also intense, this, you can also see you can also see this in, in mathematical proofs. LLMs um are sort of really good at um doing uh going through very well documented, famous proofs, but when you try to get them to prove something like completely trivial, but that's sort of, like, so trivial nobody's ever written it down, they just really struggle. Um, Yeah, yeah, and the other thing,
1: if you look at, like, the proof engines, the kind of proofs that they output, you know, these are the AI-based proof engines, I mean, not not the kind of formal ones. Yeah. The the formal ones are actually kind of nicer, although they just can't do as many proofs. (laughs) Um, uh, They're just incredibly messy, yeah. <laughs> they're just, you know, or, or, chains upon chains <coughs> of, like, you know, you can tell this is sort of brute force search.
0: Yeah, right, or a lot of the time, they, you know, there's a sort of, like, obvious way to do something, right, there's an obvious, like, well, there's the goal, you need to get to here, here, and here, and when you ask the LM for the proof, it just goes off sideways, and just, yeah, yeah, have, have you tried
1: asking it to prove that two is a prime number?
0: Oh god, <laughs> i bet that would be embarrassing um yeah yeah. but um no i mean like so you know we're in the sort of coal era you know coal and oil uh of of, like harvesting the benefits of all of this um sort of fossilized human knowledge but you know if we're going to have ais that are going to go beyond the human level and do things like cure cancer or you know um like align the next generation of AIs or, um, you know, like solve aging, stuff like that, um, you know, they are probably going to have to start doing the, or even just be able to prove that two is a prime number without flopping around all over the place and and doing random shit. Um, you know, they are probably going to have to undergo a significant amount of self-supervised, uh, training where, you know, you have either a simulation or you have an actor critic model or whatever, that that's actually going to push them beyond what's already been written down by humans because if you want to make you know something that's fundamentally smarter than gpt4 um if you look at the the ai scaling laws you're going to have to have much more data and then if you want to go fundamentally smarter than that you're going to have to have even more data and so on and so on right and eventually the amount of data just exceeds the amount of useful text data that we really have um So I do think they are going, you know, the the paradigm is eventually going to shift to simulations, um, to tools, to sort of um, communities of AI agents that are going to have to collaborate together to not just solve a problem, but prove that their solution is correct or optimal or useful in some way. Um, Kind of like the way humans, you know, go to school for a sort of basic education Um, but like, if you want humans to actually move beyond the current cutting edge, it's a lot harder than just going to school and memorizing everything, right? Um, Right,
1: right. And, and if you look at these kind of specialized medical results, right, like the, the protein folding one is a great example. I forget what what it's called.
0: Alpha fold, fold, you mean.
1: Right, right. Alpha fold. Um, it does use this, you know, self-supervised model, right? That, that is what, you know, that is what it's made of. Yeah. And. I do think that as a means of sort of specialization, as a means of, you know, creating these models that are, you know, basically able to focus, right? If you look at, Ch- or if you look at like GPT-4, it is a model that is um, just shockingly unfocused. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe that's the point, you know, I'm not saying that this is necessarily a mistake by open AI, mm-hmm. but that is where I see a lot of kind of not necessarily like overall performance improvement, but sort of um economic improvement. Like like this is where I think like the money is made is you just specialize these models, you you take advantage of the kind of uh trade-off between generality and performance. Well, I mean and I, you I just think there's one that has like high performance and right, value. But I, but
0: I think there is going to be a lot of money to be made with the mm-hmm. sort of coal coal-fired uh steam engine type ar oh yeah right? for sure for right? sure like, because there's there's just a lot of jobs in our society that don't really require pushing beyond the cutting edge in fact probably most jobs do not require being able to push beyond the cutting edge of knowledge right like a plumber right. or the guy who works at the supermarket the guy who fixes your car or the secretary or the you know call center employee like none of these are doing anything cutting edge they're just like computing with natural language which um you know which which lms can totally do so lms are totally going to replace people who work in call centers um, you know that's... i mean it's,
1: it's it's weird because you mentioned the mechanic there mm-hmm. and um that that's one of the areas where i think there there's a huge you know dark matter um I mean, another oh, area, the, oh, like, oh, funnily yeah, there, enough...
0: There is, yeah, there there is dark matter in the sense of, um, you know, this tacit knowledge type stuff. So it's going to be... Yeah, exactly, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. You know, you you look at all of these mechanics, you look at, you know, it, it's crazy, and I, I worked in... It is very funny because it's sort of self-referential. I worked in uh, machine learning hardware for a bit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff on the hardware side, the software side is more well-documented, but a lot of the stuff on the hardware side is like, you know we have some guys who've worked here for like 30 years um, or like worked in the industry for 30 years mm-hmm. um, and, and they have these tricks of of how to get the hardware working and, you know, where is this documented? Uh, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not publicly, you know, may, maybe like NVIDIA has a few troubleshooting documents for it, but like, you know, we don't really know.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So what will probably have to happen for that for example for a car mechanic there's there's a whole bunch of tacit knowledge there somebody will basically employ some car mechanics to you know basically show a robot system how to do everything just as if they were teaching an apprentice but you only have to do that once right or a couple of times um you, know, you only really have to do it once and then it can be copied uh you know indefinitely so one of the great inefficiencies of the human race
1: but but is, that's not co- that's not how the rest of machine learning works at all right Maybe if you're looking at like self-supervised models, right? But you know that, that that's not really compatible with our current architecture. Like we don't show it; we don't show GPT for one Shakespeare poem. That's not how it works.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, so probably you know, like <coughs> these these um LLMs are sort of like about a factor of a hundred less efficient at learning than humans are. So if you had a robotic system that was similarly inefficient, it would have to go through the equivalent of a hundred lifetimes worth of being a mechanic in order to be as good as a single human mechanic. But then once you had that network that was as good as a single human mechanic, you copied copy it a million times, you have a million mechanics. Um, So that's still a huge efficiency. One of the great problems with human civilization is the inability to just quickly and sort of mechanically copy humans, right? Um, Things would be really different Mm -hmm. if you could do that. A um, a, 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 A sort of skilled human, like maybe even like you or I, um, you know, isn't actually chemically very expensive. If you just think about the the chemical ingredients necessary to synthesize a new one, um, it's not much. But like, you know, not only, and part of this is like political, we've just, we've politically decided not to do human cloning. Um, but, you know, part of it is just like, it's hard, right? Like, how do you, how do you just like, take a you know take a brian and just like say i'll have a million of those and i'll put them all on the uh, on this 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 machine learning project and it'll go really quickly right you just can't do that right you have to like mm-hmm. you have to have like a like a man and a woman and they have to meet each other and fall in love <laughs> and <have> children <laughs> yeah. and then it takes a long time and they might use contraceptives and not have children anyway and all this bullshit kind of happens so um you know part of the um efficiency of these sort of cult like, like these fossil fuel based um uh Machine learning algorithms is even if what they're doing is fundamentally really just sort of aping human behavior, but with with a bit of machine learning uh, interpolation thrown in um, the fact that you can just copy paste them is huge. Right. Um, you, You can literally just copy and paste the model weights. For you know, probably pennies in terms of electricity to do the, to do the operation, and you know, a, a relatively small like a, a dozen dollars or something, or a, 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 you know, a hundred two hundred three hundred four hundred dollars. I don't know what for the storage, right? But it's, it's super cheap compared to like the you know four hundred thousand dollars or whatever it costs to raise a new human. Um, so
1: yeah, that's the sort um, of it's interesting. It goes back. This is something that I didn't have in the prep, but you know it uh, goes back to the kind of bullshit jobs debate right once you once you get all of these um llms that can you know i think you're right on, you're you're spot on in terms of the call centers mm-hmm. right or in terms of a lot of these like you know really legible work you know um like if, you're, if if all you're doing is paperwork then all of that is you know it's already in the data set um do you think that you know this will reduce the number of jobs in that kind of in, in that area do you think it'll yeah, you know, increase it as as some people speculate. Well,
0: it's sort of um, jobs, as in jobs for humans or jobs for humans plus AIs. That's
1: a that's a good question. I mean, it, it um, might eliminate. L- let's do just humans first. <coughs> might... Will there be more? Yeah. Will there be uh, more or fewer people working in call centers by twenty um, forty?
0: I I think it'll completely eliminate that category of jobs because okay, no, like nobody's going to pay the exorbitantly high wages for a human call center operator if you can just have an ai do it
1: okay how about legal consultants um
0: well i don't know the legal profession very well but you're talking about paralegals right the ones who just sort sure. of like do fairly yep. uh, mechanistic operations on documents i think it'll eliminate that as well
1: okay no more no more paralegals okay cool um what, let, let's answer the other question now, right? Will the total amount of, like, paralegal work, you know, done by humans or AIs, uh, is that is that going to increase?
0: That will almost certainly increase a lot. For okay. the same reason that LEDs made light uh, cheaper, this did not decrease the amount of light, it increased it. In fact, it probably even increased the amount of money we spend on light, because, like, now that it's cheaper, I'll buy more of it kind of effects, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so- we're gonna
1: we're gonna fill this entire room. Uh, actually, <laughs> yeah. like all all the, the light setup today is like natural because it's it's a very good time. Mm-hmm. But I remember I remember like for some other podcast I did, um, I, I just had a terrible light setup. It was extremely grainy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I went out the day after and bought like a bunch of light cubes and now mm-hmm. I have a bunch of light cubes yeah um so thanks to thanks to the power the of, power of the LEDs, you know right. yeah. um so one, of once, the once
0: LEDs once, once something gets cheaper people do sometimes end up consuming more of it um because you know they're now they've decided oh well I can get more utility right um so right uh, yeah yeah I, th- I think that'll happen with AI. <coughs> um but I mean it's kind of it's kind of a little bit off off topic of this from what we were talking about which is the um you know the, the path forward of um alignment and my sort of switch from being pro pause to anti-pause which is kind of like the big thing
1: yeah l- let's do let's do a bit of a summary of that um you know. First of all, why pause? And second of all, why no longer pause?
0: <laughs> right. Okay. That's a good question. When you have to explain both the thing and the, uh, the, the converse or the, um, the negation of the thing, that's quite hard. Um, so, you know, I was sort of pro-pause um, in terms of like pausing specifically the development of new AI hardware at the beginning of 2023 because at the beginning of 2023 it seemed like suddenly ai was moving super quickly and it was quite stressful um and you know it was like maybe we should just sort of tamp this down a little bit um just to see how it sort of evolves um i think that was probably a mistake um but at the time it seemed reasonable that you know whatever the real situation with alignment is it can't hurt to just sort of like stop building new ai hardware for like two years or three years or something um and then see what the situation is in a couple of years and you know people will have had more time to explore the consequences people will just sort of know what the situation is better and if things were fine then you know wasting three years is kind of like annoying um, or not completely wasting them, but like, you know, reducing the rate of progress for three years is kind of annoying, but like, we can sort of take that. There's a lot of th- that, you know, in, in my remaining lifetime, there's quite a lot of these three-year periods. Um, so, you know, taking one hit at the sort of most critical point in the development of AI so far, which is basically the year the Turing test was annihilated, um, probably seems okay. Um, just, just a sort of general caution um, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry kind of principle. Um, so why have I changed my mind about that? Well, for one thing, we've gone through the whole of 2023 without anything significant blowing up, so there is, like, a sort of empirical update there, um, that may be to some extent due to the cadence of OpenAI's releases, but at the same time, Uh, we got a bunch of these open source releases and people were worried that the open source systems would wreak havoc um people made things like chaos gpt but you know it just sort of turned (laughs) out it just sort of turned out that these systems are not really capable enough to be dangerous right now um and so people can make chaos gpt and it can make these like lewd suggestions about like blowing the world up but it just like can't you know chaos gbt probably can't prove that two is a prime number right like it's (laughs)
1: yeah yeah you
0: know so it's probably probably not going to take take over the world right um so yeah um but but there's like a there's like a deeper change um in my attitude to these things um because i spent a lot of the year thinking about this stuff um you know i've stopped thinking so much about um ai Uh, risk per se and started thinking more about property rights over the future because if you just think about ai risk you risk um privileging uh the existing control systems that we have like governments and markets um and sort of assuming that they're riskless which is not true um they have risks which probably go up a lot in the presence of powerful ai systems um so it's better to think about the more general question of what actions will uh, make my property rights or the property rights of those people I care about stronger uh, you know into the into the future. So what what changes can we make to the world now that will allow us to basically buy sort of permanent uh, a permanent slice of the future that nobody can take away from us? And that's what really matters, right? Because if you could just sort of buy, like, uh, you know, a, a one—if you could just buy like a one in a billionth share of the future productivity of Earth-originating civilization, you know, that one in a billionth would, you know, like, be worth I don't know, like thirty thousand dollars or something today, um, if you if you just look at what global wealth is, um. Or maybe a bit more than that, I don't know. But it's that kind of order of magnitude. But like, if Earth originating civilization colonizes the whole galaxy, then you know, that that $30,000 will go up by a factor of 10 to the 11. So as long as you're... Yeah, you get rights, your own planet. <laughs>
1: you get
0: your own planet, exactly. So as long as... For, the, pro-
1: pro- for the low, low price of $30,000.
0: You'll get a planet. If you don't have $30,000, yeah. if you're in the third world, and you only have like $10, that's fine. You can pay $10 and you can have like your own island or your own country or your own like little moon or something. Um, you know, which is with, with like yeah, yeah, but
1: the, but there's a reason that kind of sounds like a scam right now, right? Like if someone comes up to me saying, you know, we'll give you thirty, we'll give you a planet for thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, but you,
0: but you see, like it kind of like sounds like a scam. But if you if you sort of wind human history backwards and you bear in mind that this stuff is on an exponential, like if you go back to your distant ancestors from a thousand years ago, right? If they could have just bought. Um, you know a proportional slice of the world and it had like just grown with world G- gdp then you really could buy sort of incredible amounts of right
1: amounts right of- i'm not i'm not contesting the theory i'm saying <laughs> yeah. like the reason why it sounds like a scam is that these things tend to be very insecure, insecure you know exactly. like yeah. what what would i have been up to you know in like the 18th no no 19th century like Dutch like the first stock market, mm-hmm. right? What would I have been up to? You know, whatever I bought would have probably gone to zero by now, right?
0: Um I think there are like some companies and stuff that I mean I think basically you would have bought gold, right? You would have uh bought gold and kept it super safe. Like
1: No not if I was speculating, right? Not if I I wanted like this huge amount of growth. Um
0: I think you you just got a pretty good amount of growth just out of gold though, because um civilization just just high
1: inflation just
0: just yeah just because like civilization like grows right um you know gold used to be like you know really cheap uh if you if you count it but yeah i mean there's inflation sort of makes this confusing but like gold has like sort of kept up with um you know with with with, like something like what it hasn't kept up with stocks but um perhaps it's sort of like kind of kept up and so, because ev- because like the whole global economy has grown by like a, a really large factor since like two hundred years ago or three hundred years ago, if you'd if you'd held things like gold or land, um, you know those are suddenly worth like massive multiples. Um, on, yeah, on the I bottom.
1: know that there are you know <laughs> at least two like semi-experts on the history of gold who occasionally listen to this podcast so i'm sure they'll like you know they'll they'll let me know all the ways that i was wrong uh about well i mean this. like you could you, know, you it's not my area you, of expertise you could sort of
0: calculate but i think like um if you sort of um if you used like a, like a thousand hours worth of labor from like the year 1700 to buy gold and just held it um you know until now you would get like way more than a thousand hours uh, worth of contemporary wages out of that, um, it, yeah. I think, uh, I, I
1: think that's that's very hard. You know, to I don't.
0: I don't know what. The, I don't know what the factor would be. I suspect it's like a factor of a hundred. But anyway, so. Um, the, the...
1: Yeah, yeah, we we want a we want a kind of universal. We want a kind of civilizational uh, uh, index fund.
0: Basically, yes. Um, basically, you want people to be able to have strong property rights to. Buy a slice of the future that won't get taken away from them even under the um sort of really harsh uh sort of strenuous test of smart and human intelligence and the technological singularity and a whole bunch of other things that can happen and another thing that can happen that can sort of take this away from you is actually a degrowth scenario so um you know you could um have a scenario where governments ban ai because everyone got scared of it and you know civilization sort of doesn't have much um doesn't have much else going for it right now like you know we have a dysgenics problem where people you know lower iq people overall over the whole world are reproducing much more than higher iq people we have a general problem of population collapse where People just yeah that
1: I'm more worried about
0: <laughs> well it's both it's not just one or the other it's both right I mean if it was just sure. the population collapse but you know everyone was sort of really high human capital maybe we'd get out of it
1: I'd still be worried about that you know I'd be you more, know I, I, if, if you had like no no effect on average IQ and you're just like you know decreasing the population you're cutting the population mm-hmm. in half I'd be damn worried about that yes but
0: I, I, <laughs> I'd be I'd be more confident about us being able to get out of it because you see the combination sure. of the two is leading to some very politically incorrect uh, sort of places where you basically have, you know, governments will look at their collapsing populations and say, "Gee, fixing this seems kind of hard. I guess we'll just do immigration." And you know, the eventual result of this is all of the sort of countries that like produced um, global sort of scientific revolutions, so Europe, America. Uh, probably to some extent, China and Japan and, and Eastern countries as well will eventually just be like replaced with immigrants from like Southeast Asia and South America and Africa, um, and then those populations will also collapse. And and then in that collapse, you don't have the high human capital people to stop it. You just you have like sort of you know like Brazil, South Africa. You know you know like the situation in South Africa today where things are yeah as- yeah.
1: It, it, it's funny because I just did an episode on this with uh, Simone and Malcolm Collins on fertility collapse, population collapse in general, and I think, like, we're both, or, like, all three of us are more worried about, like, the opposite thing. You know, like, the IQ Shredder thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like I'm more worried about, like, bunch of smart high fertility populations all kind of assimilating into this like low birth rate culture yes and then there's like no more yeah that's that's
0: that's also a risk so there's there's basically like a bunch of these processes that are going on that could be described as um governments choosing the high time preference solution right where you know they could try and actually uh solve population collapse in western countries um or even in some eastern countries like south korea and japan uh but they're like you know "Ah, we can't really be bothered that sounds hard um so we'll we'll just take the easy option which is mass immigration and the consequences the negative consequences of that will be such a long time out that we don't really care about them right so governments are very myopic And this is super bad, right? And there's a number of other places where this kind of thing has come into play. Um, Climate change and nuclear power is another one. If we'd had the nuclear revolution that we were supposed to have in the 60s and 70s, then climate change wouldn't really be a problem, right? Because we'd have nuclear reactors in China, Europe, America, Russia, all the places that are actually already nuclear weapon states could just have nuclear reactors, and they could make uh, synthetic fuels out of carbon dioxide in the air, which is a carbon neutral way of making fossil fuels. Um, so we'd have a lot more energy, and we'd be emitting a lot less CO two. And you know, if there are any additional sort of like problems, you, it wouldn't be that hard to fix them, right? Um, if we would also pushed, you know, the space program. If we ha- basically once NASA got to the moon, it kind of like got lazy about space and stopped really doing anything. Um, if we'd had an Elon Musk type uh, visionary in the 1970s uh, and the 80s who'd continued to push humanity into space, maybe we'd be able to install, um, you know, like a solar shade or a weather control machine. Like I was reading one one thing that sort of influenced me quite a lot is reading um, J. Stahl's Hall's book "Where's My Flying Car," and he right. pro- he proposed not just an orbital solar shade but also you could have floating, a floating weather control machine composed of many trillions of small... Yeah, long tr- last
1: we have invented the space laser.
0: Well, it wouldn't be a space laser. It would just be like lots of floating balls that could change their um, their colors. They could be transparent or opaque or reflective and they could be programmable. So you'd have programmable weather. Um, so you can make clouds appear wherever you wanted them to, um you could make them disappear wherever you wanted to so you know if we had that kind of technology nuclear reactors uh uh uh, you know like orbital infrastructure like if we had all of that stuff if we'd made all of that stuff instead of everyone just like you know taking drugs and and piecing out in in the 60s and 70s um then climate change wouldn't be a problem right
1: yeah and it's not even just piecing out you know it's you know, banning you know, the nuclear regulatory yeah, committee. Yeah, nuclear record commission. You, you know the story, right? All of this um, stuff, for the yeah. audience, the nuclear yeah. uh, regulatory uh, committee was established. And then for 48, 49 uh, years, not a single permit was approved. And then, like, I think last year, they approved the first one just yeah. to troll Bology. <laughs> <laughs> right. So basically, we'll have one. We'll, we'll, we'll give you
0: one we'll give you one nuclear reactor yeah so basically you know when things were easy when things when we had the good times in the 60s 70s 80s um the government was like incompetent and you know that incompetence or the governments of the world and that incompetence is now coming back to bite us because we have this climate change problem i'm like i'm not a climate change denier i do believe climate change is real right but like if we had nuclear reactors, it wouldn't be a problem. If we had orbital infrastructure, it wouldn't be a problem, right? If we had a weather control machine, it wouldn't be a problem, but we didn't do those things. We like took drugs and, you know, did the NRC and we did, you know, all of these sort of stupid incompetent things. Um, So now that the chickens have come home to roost, now that the problem has sort of like manifested in a way that they can't ignore, instead of like going back and saying oh that was a mistake we should actually allow nuclear power now what are the governments actually saying they're saying like oh you should use less right you should you Mm -hmm. decrease your consumption you should decrease the population like governments are incompetent when it comes to actually optimizing the world to make it better for us in the long run but they're competent enough to prevent us from making the solutions on our own by you know like sending the police to us um, and then when the problem actually gets real, their first response is going to be to tell us to consume less and basically run psychological operations to, you know, kind of kill people, right? Like, not literally kill people, but it's like, you know, you see a lot of propaganda. Right, right. It's like.
1: Thing. It's, it's like me. Like, May- it's
0: like oh, the, the, the world can't like sustain enough people. It's like oh, well, just stop existing then. Don't have kids. Don't eat meat. Don't go on holiday. Don't have a car. Don't do anything. Right, like because that's the
1: easiest solution for them. Right, because like right, I'm right. Actually- it's a it's a kind of like left wing austerity. Um, yeah, something that's very uh, com- compelling to me is that the, is the the narrative that Samo has for this. Uh, th- this was actually like the first this is the, from the first time I had Sammo on the podcast, he, he noticed this kind of narrative shift. It goes from, you know, um, th- there's no problem it, uh, to, you know, uh, this is actually, or like, it goes from, you know, this is one observation. It goes from, you know, we're going to have prosperity forever. The stock market's going to keep going up mm-hmm. and then a crash happens. And then, you know, it goes to, uh, actually, you know, there's not going to be huge amounts of growth, but we've ended volatility. Um, it's it's just going to be stable now. And then it goes from that to like secular stagnation, mm-hmm. everything, there's, there's no really good opportuni- opportunities everywhere. But you know, you should still invest in stocks, because it's the best we've got, right? It goes from and it's the most obvious when it comes to like financial markets, it goes for from like three different ways. And maybe we're on the fourth uh, way, which is, you know, maybe, maybe it's not that good of an investment, but you should do it for moral reasons. <laughs> right. It goes, it goes in, in four different ways of essentially justifying the same thing. You know, you should buy these established stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and all throughout, you know, you can notice that there's no consistent thread of logic. There's mm-hmm. no consistent, you know story that these four things are telling in fact they're actively contradictory Right. You can't believe that like stocks are going to continue to go up forever and that we have, you know, secular stagnation. That that actually just makes no sense. Yeah. And it's the same deal with climate. It's right. like, oh, we're going to have all these innovations and then that's that that goes bust. You know, this can be solved with technocratic policy. You know, we can, you can all, all we need is to do a carbon tax and the problem will be solved Um, to, you know, we need, you know, massive austerity. It needs to be like this bottom up thing. And you know maybe the next thing the, the next thing will be like um, eco terrorism or something, <laughs> right? Right. But you can you can see the pattern this is going. You already see this at a, as a at right. a small level in, yeah. in Europe. So right, so, yeah. You so, can see the pattern in this this is going where they're they're going around in circles, creating these uh, nested justifications for what is essentially poverty.
0: Right. So th- the problem is that governments are that they, they are an obstacle to the furtherance of the long-term interests of humanity but yeah you know they also make it hard to actually deal with the problem and 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 like you know i don't think there's like any one person who who does all of this stuff but it's just it's just an emergent property of how they work right because at any given point in time A politician is sort of almost his job description is to lie because he has to try to try to please as much of the electorate as possible. And if there are strategies that involve not telling the truth that will, um, you know, get more votes, then he's sort of like contractually obliged to do that. Right, because if he doesn't, some other politician will come along and do it, and and like oust him and get the money and status and the honors and all of that stuff. So, and, and there's been a sort of there's been a particularly uh, messy example of this in the UK with the British uh, post office scandal, where basically oh. I, I don't I don't know if you heard of this one. Basically, around I have about, no idea what this around is. about the year two thousand, the government instituted a new um, uh, digital um, bookkeeping accounting system for post offices and um you know they kind of like it, they kind of like made it really bad it was low quality but they didn't tell anyone that um and over the years what would happen is it would have all of these bugs where you know somebody would like enter a payment uh and then the screen would freeze and they would like press the button again but it would enter the, pa- the same payment three or four times over so the managers of the post office it would look like the manager of the post office was committing fraud because you know, the system oh. like three records <laughs> yeah. of the same payment, but they would only have one actual physical pile of money. Um, and so instead of like correcting this error, the government um, or rather the post office leadership started um, basically um, launching criminal cases against its own management, its own like low level post office managers. So these are kind of like, um, you know, middle-class, uh, business people who do like run a local post office like shop shop
1: yeah yeah right?
0: so it would basically do these legal cases against these people and there's like about ten thousand of these people in the whole country and you know by the time this thing stopped in like 2018 or whatever uh they'd they'd prosecuted 10 percent of them right so a whole 10 percent of their like
1: ten percent of like the entire force. Yes, a thousand people. Oh my goodness! They
0: prosecuted a thousand people for fraud, and a number of them had committed suicide. Some of them had died. A lot of them couldn't pay, and they went to prison. Some of them did pay, and it ruined them, and they became homeless. Like they just inflicted this gross amount of, of suffering on these people, um, and they sort of like the the details of this read exactly like a misaligned super intelligence in a way because they actually set up a phone line uh because the managers would call in and say look at this you know i i didn't do this on purpose and the phone line had like a um had a script that the call operator, that the operator would follow that said oh nobody else has had a problem like this and they literally put that in a script for the for the telephone operators to follow um and so eventually enough of these people had been like taken to court and convicted that they set up like a an independent group like a charity, uh, it's called justice for postmasters or something. And that group finally had enough sort of impetus to go. And they had to go to like a private investment firm to uh, <laughs> get an investment, uh, in order to pay lawyers. Um, like, like the, you know, they had to basically finance their own court case. Uh, they took, they took it to the high court and the high court was like, oh shit, this this accounting system is like totally fucking broken. It's full of bugs. We've had because now they had some like you know um, pr- some proper witnesses, some com- some computer experts coming because these postmaster types they don't know much about programming, right? But they paid for the lawyers, and the lawyers paid for experts, and the experts are like, holy shit, this is like complete garbage fire. You know, like every single good practice has been broken. There's like a whole catalog of these different bugs, um, and it was like a national scandal. But but the whole point of this story is that like you know, if the government can get away with it, it will basically like sort of farm its own citizens like cattle, right? And like, it got so bad within this scandal that the firm that had made the faulty accounting software was using the court cases as a revenue stream because it was getting paid £20,000 every time there was a court case, because it would just give evidence. It would give the same evidence, basically saying, no, no, the program's fine, it must be a problem with you. So, like, it was an additional revenue stream. It was Fujitsu who, who were doing this. Um, the, the UK branch of Fujitsu.
1: That, um, yeah, that, that's amazing. So, that's...
0: but but this, this, is the, <laughs> this is the problem with, you know, governments, is that if they can get away with it, they will get away with it, right? It's just that governments are constrained, right? They have constraints in terms of the press, in terms of Uh, The police and the military, uh, you know, would eventually rise up if they were sufficiently bad um, in terms of, you know, elections are a constraint to some extent, you know, sometimes an election uh, goes, you know, in a way that the establishment isn't expecting. So governments have all these constraints, but like, um, if you just look at them as a system... You know, they the, this the the system that comprises these human institutions that rule us has like it's like super super misaligned, right? It's like way worse right. misalignment than any kind of AI design. And, and it I is think the
1: paperclip. It optimizer. is the
0: paperclip maximizer. The government is the paperclip maximizer. That's the problem. And the problem with AI pauses is they tend to give control to the government. And and you know the right. the government will not um, protect our property rights in the long term because all of these additional constraints on human governments like the fact that they you know have to keep the police happy they have to keep the military happy they have to prevent there being a mass protests and riots and and like the media and you know all of these like constraints as you introduce ai into the picture oh we'll replace the police with drones or replace the military with drones uh will you know control all the press using automated censorship algorithms um you know like they basically take all of the controls off of the government Uh, To the point where it literally could just say, okay, we're just going to kill everyone. Uh, You can't do anything about it. Um, And they could get away with that. Now, I don't think they'll actually do that. I think what would actually happen is probably, um, you know, they they would basically um, most likely be exploited by some kind of actor in the AI space who would realize that there's a sort of feedback loop between um, I will make an AI system that's quite powerful I will use that power to sort of bribe or control the government. I will use that government control to get rid of my competitors and give me more power. So I think that's the feedback. Right. Hypothetically. Yes. Um, Hypothetically. So I think that hypothetically, I think, I think that's kind of what would actually the way that we would actually end up getting, uh, you know, getting, getting grilled, right. Is somebody would work out how to use their mega corporation to control the government and the government would further empower that mega corporation or AI system, or whatever it is, um, and it would there would be like lots of propaganda and, and sort of psychological operations to prevent people from realizing this, and you know, like it, they would make it difficult to coordinate against it, and so on and so forth. So, the, the government's just like this huge security hole in the whole thing, right? And if we're looking at securing the best possible future for humanity, human governments that were designed and built in the, you know, 1800s um, are just not fit for task, right? Um, And that's actually probably the core problem with AI safety. It's not really that there's a problem with the technicalities of AI, whatever they may be, because if we had an actually competent government, it could have like a prediction market or something, or some kind of mechanism that would predict, you know, what levels of AI development were safe or what potential time. So basically, you know, responsible scaling policy type thing, right? So whatever the technical side is, they could take that into account and... Not, sure, sure. Not- but I
1: think you're running into two problems here and maybe they're somewhat connected, but distinguishing between the matters in the case of AI, one is sort of bad incentives and the other is sort of just people being dumb, right? Like... Um, I don't actually think it was completely in the government. Like, if the government could just like hit a switch and like make the post, uh, like the post accounting system work properly, like they would have hit that switch, right? Well, I'm, it, I'm, I'm not. Sure of like-
0: of, I'm not sure of that because at some point it got to the point where everyone who was in charge of this was making more money by it being broken than by being, but than by it working properly, right?
1: Hmm.
0: because like, you know, that Fujitsu was making 20,000 pounds per court case. All of the, the people on the security team were on a bonus system where the more convictions they got, the more they got paid. Right. Um, hmm. And the management was also taking bonuses for this. Cause every time they saw a conviction, they, they counted that as a positive. It's like, Oh, we're catching more criminals. Right. So like, uh, no, I, I, I don't see. actually think so. Like, I think they, they, they were genuinely like feasting on people's misery.
1: Okay. So we're, yeah, yeah. We're, this this is more like the second case that i was going to talk about right you know there's there's incompetence versus um problems with incentives mm. and yeah you're right that you know maybe in this case it was actually a problem with incentives not incompetence i
0: mean but... i mean somebody somebody was incompetent right because it kind of looked bad for the for the government eventually but those sure. people were were so high up in the hierarchy that they didn't have any visibility onto it so
1: yeah i think you're right um the the problem of visibility um I mean this is something that that people have talked about for you know many generations of like the the people who are accountable either there's no one accountable or the <coughs> people who are accountable are not actually the one making the mistake yes right you're throwing out you know you're throwing out uh Rishi or you're throwing out you know um i i don't even remember the 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 name of that woman who is only there for a few for like what what was it two weeks let's <laughs> Liz, um, Liz, Liz but, but, but like, that's actually yeah. not the person who's direct, yeah. who's like actually responsible for the yeah. postmaster. I rate. mean I, I, think, right. I think
0: I think I think if Rishi had known. But you see, the thing is all of this stuff happened pre Rishi. I mean, like, this goes back to the days yeah. of like Tony Blair, right? So I mean if Tony Blair had known that the post office was like screwing his own postmasters and he really knew for certain that was happening and why it was happening, yeah, I think he probably would have stopped it. Because like, although yeah. it didn't really directly impact his reputation, like he also didn't really make any money out of it. So, you know, it was like people lower down who are making who are on the make. So uh yeah, he he probably would have stopped it.
1: Yeah. So, so, so there is a, there, there is a theoretical like series of events where it turns out, you know, quote unquote aligned. Um, It's just that it's very unlikely because of how, how the incentives are set up. Well, Uh, so, so, so why does this imply, you know, why does this imply not pausing? Right. Because, you know, the, the argument would be that if you think that there are all these misaligned incentives, then, you know, um, misaligned incentives plus even more powerful AI technology just makes it more likely that that you know they're they're right. going to use it to like wage but, wars or whatever yeah
0: but but there is a trade-off here when you you know if if there were a pause that would have happen uh, by magic like let's say there's a big typhoon and the chip fabs in Taiwan are destroyed and so we have a sort of a, a, a miraculous pause right um you know, maybe that wouldn't be so bad, actually, right? Um, but if there's, like, a political movement for pause, then, you know, that movement is also going to want more control. It's also maybe never going to want to unpause, because, like, once it's paused, it's, like, the people at the 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 people at the forefront of the pause movement are going to lose their jobs if they say, okay, it's time to unpause, right? Because, like, you know, they're kind of done now, right? Um, so just having having that kind of movement. So, so kind of like the, um, uh, you know, imagine like we put Greta Thunberg in charge of AI alignment, right? You know, right, that, That's right. the kind of vibe. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is a very important factor that I don't think a lot of EAs get is that any kind of political solution that leads to kind of additional control over AI will like not be run by EAs, right? Like, yes. C- current EAs are mostly like useful idiot's for people who actually have political power. Yes, Um, exactly. Like, like, this is something that I talked about, I think, um, with you before we got on call, is that, like, you know, um, Sam Hammond, friend of the show, he's been on the podcast twice, uh, who is also kind of into AI alignment, supports more efforts for uh, kind of AI alignment, is, uh, you know, he, he wrote this article in Politico called We Need a Manhattan Project, for a for ai safety mm-hmm. and i kind of kind of said to you like before this you know any world in which sam hammond is in charge of the manhattan project for ai safety <laughs> is a world where that would actually work yeah um mm-hmm. and any world where he's not well that's kind of the world we live in right yeah. so, so right so the,
0: the problem is basically um what we really want is strong property rights throughout the sort of infinite future. I want to be able to buy uh, a one one billionth chunk of the world and have that one billionth grow, uh, you know, proportionally. Um, so, you know, I have a billionth of earth. Today, I want in a hundred million years, I want like a billionth of the local supercluster, right? Like that's what we really want. Um, and, you know, giving more control to the government and less to all of these like fairly EA aligned AI companies probably weakens property rights rather than strengthens them. Um,
1: yeah. That, that's the other thing that I think like EAs don't really get is that like the, the companies are in many ways more like EA aligned than, than the government. Uh, the, the yes. Yeah. Um, do you want to go deeper on that? Is there any like more specific point you want to make related to that? Well, I mean, it's just
0: like, you know, when, when you have a movement like this, initially when it's not cool and it's not uh big news it's going to attract like people who are really you know quite um fervent you know quite sort of true believers like i guess like me i was in this since 2007 right um but but you know once it's like splashed all over the news and important and high status it sort of like attracts you know people who are like generic climbers and will jump on whatever the bandwagon is and those people are not trustworthy right those people are opportunistic um and they'll just do whatever right which includes weakening everyone's property rights in various ways and they may not even realize that this is happening right they they you know they'll just be like oh well you know this uh government department says that we should do this um you know and so we'll do it uh, and that's what everyone's agreed on and you'll you'll get a lot of these types who will just sort of go along with what everyone's doing. And, and I think probably quite a lot of the post office scandal was perpetuated by people like that, who would be like, well, you know, this is like the, fi- the 500th uh, sub-postmaster we're prosecuting um, for, for committing fraud with this specific system. Uh, but, you know, everyone says the system's fine, so I'll just go along with it. Um, and, and I can sort of imagine that kind of um, type of operation of the state, being the thing that either causes a disastrous ai existential risk or causes a permanent technological stagnation that we never recover from um and i I do think that both of those are still on the table if you know governments get too much power i do think a permanent and terminal stagnation event is possible um
1: you know, the way- right. And what's interesting is that they're not actually mutually exclusive. Yeah. Right. Like you would assume they're mutually exclusive, but it's not. Yeah. Like, um, like we still have nuclear weapons, right? We haven't gotten rid of the nuclear weapons. Yes. All we've gotten rid of are like the actual productive uses. Yes, of exactly.
0: We've, we've gotten rid of the nuclear power plants. We didn't get rid of the nuclear weapons. Uh, exactly. A hundred percent. And that's, that's exactly what government will do. And if you think about, you know, where is my flying car? Right. Do yeah. you know who has flying cars right now?
1: The military. military.
0: They have V-22 Ospreys. They have F-35Bs, right? They have flying cars. You don't, right? So the military generally gets an exception. And the military, you know, is probably not the best group, shall we say, to be ahead on AI because they're going to want to kill people with it. And it's going to be like, oh, we got to kill the Chinese. And the Chinese are like, oh, we got to kill the Westerners. And that's bad, right? We don't want that. Um, so yes, it'll be like you know, ban AI for the citizens because it might be dangerous, um, you know, but you know, national security exceptions. And I noticed that in the e- EU AI Act, that's exactly what they did. They had an exception right, for exactly, security, exactly. Right? <laughs> this
1: is this is also something that i I've been more worried about with EA in general um you you see this, I think, like most strikingly with uh, the biosecurity um, mm. folks. Biosecurity. And, you know, many, that's, many that's good a... people, you know, many good people. However, the, the kind of disproportionate focus on, like, I believe close to 100% of the focus, or, or let's say like 95% of the focus is on these kind of hypothetical lone wolf scenarios, which as far as I'm aware is responsible for literally 0% of... The kind and of how many um, how many deaths uh, of pathogen engineering and yeah. uh, relatively no focus on state funded uh, bio bio weapons or you know bio defense research, which is so far uh, to my knowledge responsible for one hundred percent of the kind of engineered pathogens. Yes,
0: I mean it's it's interesting that we we you know even even in this discussion, I'd kind of temporarily forgotten that we have the best possible empirical support for my case. Which is we recently had a global pandemic, which we're pretty sure was caused by government funded researchers. And those government funded yeah, researchers covered it up and the World Health Organization employed Peter Dashak to like head the investigation into what's probably Peter Dashak's crime of like releasing this deadly bioweapon that killed. Right, like right, right. People, it's right?
1: exactly how you would write it in a novel. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's- you know, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all Dostoevsky all the way down. <laughs> you know. Oh. I mean it's it's like and and this is what I
0: think or fear poor AI poor people are going to facilitate. They are going to facilitate the government banning like useful helpful AI work and then the government committing an atrocity with AI in the same way that they did with bioweapons with covid and then probably covering it up but covering it up so sloppily that sort of like everyone who's in the know actually knows that they did it but we just like can't coordinate because like politics is broken and they're sort of like you know they they're in these positions of power uh, and we're not um i think it could, it could just be exactly like that right and 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 you know this this is this is pretty horrific but like the covid thing is significant in terms of pushing me towards uh, my current position which is the AI pause is a bad idea just because of, of how sort of absurd the whole thing is like how you know it's like I'm right around- oh
1: there's a uh, there's a other version of the AI pause which is like just convincing open AI to chill mm-hmm. right like is, is that a version that you still support well it depends like, I mean- like this this was a <clears throat> this was a real kind of um, strategy direction, like I know a lot of yeah. uh, you know semi prominent EAs who were just like, yeah, we're gonna ask OpenAI to like slow down, and they're gonna slow down <laughs> because they like they like right. us and, and like we're friends with them.
0: Um, so I mean, another thing that's changed my mind over the course of twenty twenty three was how the uh, Helen Toner versus Sam Altman thing went down. Which is
1: oh interesting. I don't really have a take on didn't that. Didn't really go, go on. very
0: well, but basically, well, I mean, like they tried to fire Sam Altman. There was some talk of it being about you know increasing safety in in the leadership. Uh, nobody actually wants to go on the record and say what really happened, um, but uh, you know, just from the outside, it kind of looks like there was a fight between people who were very pro safety and people who were very sort of libertarian about ousting Sam. And then they couldn't because there was, like, an instrumental incentive from the employees to keep him there because that would maximize their personal payouts. And so all the employees sided with Sam, and so that didn't work. So, you know, I mean, it's not, like, definitive evidence because we don't know all of the details, but that certainly makes it look like EA people trying to tell AI people what to do doesn't work. Um, now, would it be a good thing if it did work? Um Maybe, um, because I think it is a problem that there's a sort of lack of uh lack of coordination between, you know, anthropic, meta, open AI, like then you know, they are sort of competing with each other to some extent, and that competition can ultimately be very dangerous, um, especially if there's a strong trade-off between speed and safety. So rather than getting open AI to pause, you know, it's sort of more important to have some collective uh, utility function between these three companies so that they all collectively work together to maximize that utility rather than competing with each other to try and get as much as they can for themselves Um, at least in terms of that trade-off between speed and safety because because you know if you have a fully competitive market um, then the sort of equilibrium is that nobody spends anything on safety right Or, or very minimal Um, at least, at least if it costs them anything in terms of speed. Now they will spend some stuff on alignment because alignment actually makes your product better, right? Like AI alignment in terms of things like RLHF or, or all of these RL based techniques, um, do, you know, that's a core part of why your product is good. So even in a yeah, Or it market. can
1: be, you know. Right. I, I think I've documented, you know, many cases where RLHF is not in the interest of the consumer. Oh, it might not but be inter- yeah.
0: in the interest of the consumer, yeah, right. But, you know, presumably whatever they're doing with it is in the interest of the company, at least you would think. Um, uh, although, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've like, like I mean, you know, uh, so, so, <laughs> have you read I,
1: the new Richard Hanania book? But yeah, we, we right. can get back on top. So, I mean, I've, right.
0: I've spoken to some people within these companies who work on this, and you know, like they've said it's it's actually like the thing is not as much in their control as you would think because there's like a limited amount that you can do with these control techniques like there are a lot of the things you know that are um <clears throat> yeah i mean like basically there's like there's they have less power than you would think is is the uh is the sort of you know, like you, you, kind of make the model, you make the size, and then you try to do some stuff with RL. But like, you know, there's like a limit to how much you can do with that. So, um,
1: yep, I absolutely believe that. So, yeah.
0: so, so, yeah, maybe there is a limit there. But like, um, I mean, yeah, like I, I do think that the the fundamental thing that we want is not a pause, right? Even the pause people will say that they don't fundamentally want a pause; they just see it as instrumentally useful, right? um yeah right we don't want to pause we don't fundamentally want government control over ai right we don't fundamentally want like decision theory or mathy alignment techniques what we really want is strong property rights and i think maybe huh. it would be more helpful if people thought about the problem in terms of how do we get strong property rights into the far future um much more than anything else. And then when you're considering actions like, should we advocate for a pause, you have to think very carefully, well, is this actually going to improve my property rights or not, compared to all of the other possible things we could advocate for? And I think, actually, what probably gets us those property rights more effectively is fostering cooperation between the different actors, because because mostly the incentives of ordinary people are th- pretty pretty decently aligned with the incentives of these ai companies at least for now and they and that can be that can be increased if we include the open source models within that circle of cooperation right so we ideally want the companies the open source models the open source companies like uh, mistral to all sort of be on the same page to all be cooperating towards the best possible outcome for humanity and we don't really want to involve the government in it because the government's like icky Right, you know, it's like it's like sure. your favorite uh, your favorite item of clothing, and like you don't want it to touch like a like a pool of tar, right? Which is kind of like what the government is, um, and and you know, like if we can find ways to foster that cooperation, which operate outside of the government, then we should definitely do that, uh, or we should definitely consider it. We should definitely
1: consider it. Um, the, right, the... but the, the the question is right, like actually. Have you thought a lot about, like, the framing of this as property rights? Um, I've thought a bit about it recently, yeah. And, like, why frame it as property rights, basically?
0: Um, I think that's kind of the cleanest sort of expression of what people really want. I mean, any individual person would want, like, all of the benefit for themselves to, like, dish out however they want, right? But, like, you know the cleanest compromise between a bunch of people who each individually want all of the stuff is strong property rights and, you know, low transaction costs, uh, because then you can do this sort of Coasean bargaining and you can get an efficient distribution of this stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm not saying that, like, I don't want property rights. I I think I'm, I'm saying that, like, you know, many people they frame, when they frame this, they would not either not frame it as property rights, or if you frame it as property rights, they would not react positively to that because you know they 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 want either more collective control or they want more um. They want more um, you know they they don't trust people with property rights, right? They,
0: mm. Um, well, you know excuse me, like, people, um, like, a, a lot of the benefits that we get from civilization happen because we have property rights, right? Because- Robert,
1: I- I'm talking about this as a kind of, like, political th- yeah. thing, like, like, I asked about, like, why you chose to, like, frame it as property rights, right? I, I don't think I disagree with you mm-hmm. on the solution. I, I maybe disagree with the-, the feasibility of the solution in terms of getting, a uh, getting people to agree to it. Um, like like I think that this is a, like well, a good one, thing one, to like emphasize yeah. in terms of like I
0: mean one one thing...
1: reality in terms of like what you actually do <clears throat> uh I'm just not sure that the, the the way to get to property rights is by calling it property rights One
0: one thing one well yeah m- maybe for sort of propaganda purposes it's not good but for clarity of thinking I think it's good I mean one thing is that like a lot of this happens on this uh disagreement between moral realists and moral anti-realists and I'm an anti-realist so You know, and I think everyone in what does that mean? So anti-realist in the sense that there is no objective right or wrong. So, for example, some people might want uh, all of the resources from the human from the singularity to be used to um, create like more rainforests, right? Um, Sure. Or you might have like the Jane Goodall. Have you seen that video where she's like uh, cut with uh, Thanos from? uh avengers like when she says she wants like 90 percent of the human race to die paint like painlessly um yeah so you you might have the jane goodles who are like oh no i just want like more rainforests um you just have like normal people who are like no i want my like uh luxury island and you know like nice stuff um and then you'll you'll have like just a you maybe like you have like ea people who maybe some of them are like very very interested in animal suffering or animal welfare um or you know like international development welfare or any of these other things right so you have a whole bunch of these causes but i don't think that there's um you know any canonical objective right or wrong there's just like a bunch of people who have different goals um and and that's probably the best way to understand the universe is that it's a place made out of atoms and void and some of those atoms are arranged into agents and those agents have goals and different agents generically have different goals right but what can go wrong when you have a lot of agents who have different goals is you can get into a bad Nash equilibrium right and in the modern era where like the number of agents that humans are used to dealing with has gone up from like a hundred which is what it's supposed to be to like you know 10 billion um it's just like sort of generically very easy to end up in these bad equilibria um and what and you know futurism and ai and the singularity is just so fertile for this because what we really want is we want to be able to basically buy shares in the singularity buy your you know one one billionth share in the future. Of, you know the future light cone and you know all of this stuff that science and technology and engineering is producing for us will just grow that share for you right um you know you'll you'll and and like in 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 sort of normal everyday situations which don't involve ai you can literally just buy shares in companies and over time you will get wealthier so if you have an income and maybe like some property, and you also have a portfolio, you can get richer over time just for doing nothing, which is great, right? (laughs) It's passive income, right? Um, The problem is that the introduction of AI into this equation opens up all sorts of new ways for your property rights to be violated, right? So you can have AIs that are like running um, mind control operations on you. You can have AIs that take over the government. You can have AIs that assist the government in robbing you. You can have AIs that start World War Three. You can have the literal Terminator scenario. Like there's all sorts of things, all sorts of things that can happen that, that could, um, you know, damage our property rights. So, um, you know, I do think this is the cleanest way of thinking about the problem, A lot of people will, you know, talk about it in terms of making ethical AIs and stuff like that. But if you believe that anti-realism is true, then terms like ethical are like subjective and don't really mean anything, uh, and different people will just have different opinions and different trade-offs. And humans are sort of inconsistent about this, like you can have people you know, we've we've recently seen this with the whole Israel-Palestine thing where supposedly <laughs> ethical like you had like like feminists who were like making excuses for Palestinian rapists um because because it's like you know one cause is like more strongly left wing than the other, sort of thing. Um so I I you know like I, I do think you really do need to think about this in anti-realist terms. You need to think about, you know, everyone wants to get we want collectively to get the best possible outcome, and for everyone's property rights to be respected, and that would be great, right? You can think about the the singularity as pushing out the production possibilities frontier just massively, right? Until everyone gets their own planet, everyone gets their own, um, you know, orbital ring or something like that, uh, and, and lives happily ever after, right?
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, once again, like I, I don't. I like the pitch, you know, I'm the target audience. I-, I agree with you that like, this is a good outcome. Yeah. I'm just not sure like, I don't know. I-, I don't think many people, I-, I guess like maybe if you're into like the, the kind of like prosperity explosion thing, like, like, like contingent on that, then people would support this. But I think people right now, you know, especially, you know, when voting, when thinking about politics, especially people in politics, yeah. you know, are much more zero sum than that.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: And, and and so, I'm not sure you know like I'm not sure the property rights argument will convince them, well, i don't, but you know maybe I, I that's don't not
0: think the it point. necessarily works as propaganda, but I think um this is more for you know people
1: no not even like propaganda like like even i think like a <laughs> smart like you know so, someone who like cares about the truth right, you know we'll just will just look at this if they're like in politics, right, we'll just look at this and say like it's it's not feasible, it's not you know so not, it's it's not the way the world works
0: what what's not the way the world works the idea of like the singularity
1: like like, like people people having property rights and 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 respecting them and like basically the kind of the division you just had right they they would just say you know that's not that's not possible why
0: why not possible is it not possible because they don't believe that AI is going to make us all like 10 to the 50 times richer or not possible because, um, or, you know, not possible because along the way it's inevitable, that the property rights will be violated.
1: If you're someone who's just trying to protect your own property rights and respect, you know, this is the classical critique of libertarianism, mm. right? If you're just someone who's trying to protect your own property rights and you're not, oh. you know, paying attention to other people and you're, you're kind of leaving them alone, then they'll <laughs> just, you know, when they get strong enough to conquer you they'll conquer.
0: Right. So the problem here is the creation of strong property rights is itself a public
1: goods problem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's yes. no coordination mechanism.
0: Yes, right. So this this is a problem and this is something that I'm going to be working on moving forwards.
1: Right, right. Uh how much of that do you want to talk about? It's okay if you don't want to talk about
0: it. I'm I'm not going to talk about that now, but that's that's what I'm that's what I'm interested in working on. That's what I think other people should work on in their own ways. Um but you know e- even cool. even even without working on it actively it's useful to for example talking to the ai pause people right like you know it's useful for, for talking to them to say look your goal here is not to get an ai pause your goal is to get this good outcome where we have you know a sort of positive singularity where everyone gets uh you know their own private planet that kind of thing and sort of try to sort of chain backwards from that. And and in the process of chaining backwards from that, you know, be very careful that you don't make any unjustified assumptions, right? Like what I'm seeing a lot of from the AI pause people is they're saying things like, we need to pause because we can't align superintelligence, right? But then when you talk to people like Buck from Redwood Research, he's saying things like, oh, but we don't need to align superintelligence. We only need to align like marginally superhuman agis and then they will work on the next stage for us right and then we don't even need to align them we just need to control them because that comes back to vladimir Putin. Line. and the thing is the pause people like like they don't pay attention to this to these distinctions right they're just like focused on getting a pause so they've they've sort of become yeah, trapped
1: yeah, kind of myopia. they've
0: become trapped in this sort of pursuit of this sub goal which is maybe not really what they want at all right and, and a lot of these other sort of civilizational collapse problems like, you know, demographic replacement, uh, you know, like people not having children, um, like uh, the sort of um, Greta Thunberg type um, degrowth environmentalism. Like all of this stuff, if you actually trace out the what the consequences of that would be, are like all really bad consequences from the point of view of, e- of EAs, right? Um, yeah for sure because it you know like the case where like they do a pause um and it causes like civilizational collapse just causes like untold amounts of misery right like you know just huge misery and it also like um you know like if if you have like demographic replacement where you have mass migration from south america and africa like in that world EA is probably no longer going to exist, because it's kind of like mostly a Westerner thing. Not entirely, but mostly. And I think if you sort of, like, go to that future world, their own value system will be destroyed, and no longer be a participant in the world. And so all of the things that they care about, like reducing animal suffering, will just be, like, ignored. Um, and And like, n- not even just EA's, but like, But like all of us, like the stuff that I care about, you know, like not even my personal parochial uh, desires, but my sort of aspirations for what I want the world to look like is going to be destroyed in a civilizational collapse to a significant extent. And, And, you know, if there is another civilization that rises up out of that, it might be like the Aztecs. They just do human sacrifice all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think what Robin Hanson has written about is that it's more likely, you know, maybe not the Aztecs, but it's more likely to be, you know, something that we don't kind of recognize that, that does not have continuity exactly. with our present, yeah. because it would be highly selective for things like um, uh, isolationism, not not in terms of like a foreign policy sense, but in terms of just like Cultural. not interacting with the outside world, yeah. you know, uh, Opposition to technology, you know, many many things that I think EAs and people in general, people who listen to this podcast care yeah, about. It's, it's, All it's, yeah, those exactly. are kind it's, of corollaries. it's basically like the
0: complete fucking negation of their entire worldview. Is what the world's going to be like in the year twenty one hundred if we don't have AI, right? Like to, yeah. to save us from this. Um, so and and but but like they're not seeing this because they're not thinking about it. They're just thinking like, oh, we can't align superintelligence, so we need to pause. But then when you when you go to these AI Safety experts, some of them are saying, "Well, we don- actually don't need to align superintelligence. We don't need to align anything. We just need control." Okay, alignment is good because a, a lot, like some amount of alignment, can substitute for a large amount of control. Right? If you're yeah. the dictator of a country, all else equal, you want your population to be aligned with you, which is why dictators do personality cults right? They have, like, the picture of the dictator in every government right, building. Right, right. They, they like, now the portrait of Mao. Of yeah, so that's, like, that's alignment. That's the dictator trying to align the people to, to, to get the people to love him, and that does actually succeed to some extent, because personality cults are real, um, but it's not adequate, because it doesn't reach everyone, because it's very hard to sort of make that alignment perfect and so on top of the alignment they also layer on control and we can do that as well we can have an imperfect amount of alignment on marginally superhuman agis and then layer on top of that the best possible control techniques such that the resulting system maybe has like you know a 90 percent chance uh of, of working kind of like the first nuclear bomb had a 90 percent chance of working even though it was rather inelegant it was literally just like cram the cram the uranium bullet into the uranium hole uh, and it probably actually does go off um and i i think that's probably what it's going to look like and that's that's kind of like mentally sort of sort of uh jarring for these pause types Right. Because it's like, oh my God, your thing isn't perfect and it might go wrong. And it's like, you know, yeah, but like that's actually how we're going to escape from this planet. Right. That's how we're. Yeah. It goes escape. back to
1: like engineering mindset versus, yeah. you know, like yeah. pure math mindset. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do think that there's a kind of. I know there, there's a kind of perfectionism here. Right. That a lot of the time it's, you know, it's not. It's not um, the the plan is not just judged on you know what's the probability that it's uh, that it would work, but also on kind of how what it sounds like as an argument, kind of how you know logically unbreakable it is. Right. Yeah. Um, this sort of is the the kind of early rationalist. Yes, culture, this is this is right? early
0: Alieza stuff. Yeah, and, and I think it was good that we got a dose of that because if you don't have any of that kind of thinking, uh, engineers will just fuck shit up right (laughs) um but i think we've now gone to the stage where we actually have too much of that kind of thinking and we need more of the kind of thinking of you know the sort of like well you know the first nuclear bomb was kind of inelegant there was like a small probability it was going to fizzle and you know like we're just going to do something that's going to be the best thing we can do with the tools that we have rather than like you know getting stuck and not doing anything, which is kind of what Miri did for like 15 years, um, or like trying to like derail civilization, um, you know, and, and going into like the sort of, um, you know, like, uh, H- I think it's H.G. Wells' time machine uh, where, you know, he goes forwards in time and he finds it's like the Eloy and the Morlocks have taken over Earth and civilization doesn't. And it's like some horrific um, sort of nightmarish, stagnant um you know situation where there's like a a sort of sort of like human cattle getting preyed upon by an elite and like i do think there's something very deep about how that's the sort of inevitable fate of earth without expanding into space and without expanding to the next frontier like a stagnant planet is just a horrible place and the, the costs of derailing progress are like really high um like unimaginable amounts of death suffering destruction uh and and misery are are, you know are, are at stake here if we derail progress like significantly right and okay we could just pause for like a year or we could just pause for three years at least in theory you could do that but you know the risk is once we start handing power to those kinds of people we'll never get it back right
1: yeah yeah there there's not really ever been a kind of temporary yeah this you know, has never there, there's happened. nothing i forget who 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 said this, I think, like some president, but you know there's there's nothing there's nothing uh, more as permanent, permanent as a temporary government program exactly yeah, yeah
0: exactly. so you know the, like this this is more what's changed my mind than any sort of um Analysis of the situation with AI risks, and you know, kind of my analysis of the AI situation hasn't really changed very much. The the kind of uh, Vladimir Putin alignment stuff is, you know, ideas that I had myself like 15 years ago, but it was like too early for those things to really matter, and you know, like nobody would fund me to work on it, so whatever. Um, Right. But but like I haven't really changed my mind about that. I have changed my mind about the, you know, now that it's sort of becoming more real and maybe I should have sort of updated on this in advance, but now that it's become more real, That the costs of um, stagnation are actually huge. And we're just sort of, um, we, we just sort of ignore them. We, we're sleepwalking. We, we, into we sleepwalk it. into stagnation because we just have this sort of implicit, unquestioned assumption that everything's always going to be great and always going to be like it is today. But actually, no, things change. Stagnation, you know, like, 20th like very early 21st century earth like earth as in the year 2000 just wasn't a stable equilibrium and all sorts of things have changed over the past 25 years um and if we continue to stagnate they will change more and they will get worse um yeah
1: another argument that that you had this is a kind of like dark age scenario where where you know there's stagnation um Not necessarily that the human race goes extinct, but there's kind of many fewer uh, humans than there were before. And you made an argument when we were talking before that it would actually be a lot harder to rebuild civilization than it was the first time, which sort of surprised me. I don't necessarily disagree with it, but it's something that I didn't think uh, before. So do you want to just give that argument for the audience? Yeah,
0: well, there, there are certain things that are a lot easier the second time round, but there are then certain other things that are going to perhaps be a lot harder and one of those is sort of like um you know when it, take take a take a simple toy model of a population of rabbits and a population of foxes and you know the population of rabbits goes up and you know as a secondary consequence of that there can be more foxes because the foxes have more rabbits to eat so the foxes can have more fox cubs so they can grow right that you can do this is like a math um you know, set of differential equations. Yeah, population dynamics, lock, lock you know, very,
1: very typical, yeah. you know, uh, biology right. Lock, model, lock right? The
0: Volterra equations. So what happens is civilization is a bit like this, right? You have the the, the rabbits, which is like engineers and, uh, you know, people who build stuff and, and make civilization better and more powerful. Uh, and then you also have the foxes, you have people who sort of like parasitize them, you have like the lawyers and the you know the the kind of like uh, diversity consultants and stuff like that who who you know are not productive who are actually sort of negatively productive um, or not all not all lawyers yeah you know, but like there's a certain class of like yeah, yeah, overly yeah. aggressive lawsuit you know ambulance chasers who really are just sort of parasitizing civilization and like as civilization develops you get more and more of those but if civilization um, you know keeps growing fast enough it can always stay ahead of the parasites. But as just as a purely mathematical fact, if you ever stop that growth, you'll get like a parasite population overshoot, right? Like you will have an unsustainably large number of foxes for that rabbit population if the rabbit population stagnates, like more than there would be in equilibrium at that point. And so, yeah. Then, so, so
1: in the in the biology model, the foxes just die, right?
0: Well, and what happens
1: first is like predation. The, yeah,
0: the, the the rabbits get like exterminated by this like unusually large fox population, and then what you're left with is this really big fox population that can't feed itself, and then that collapses, and then after that collapse, then the rabbits can maybe start up again. So you know, maybe what we would get, <clears throat> maybe what we would get if we did have a long-term pause of civilization as a whole like for more like you know for another couple of decades is like life would just be full of various um types of unproductive extractors that just like are really good at extracting value from civilization like it'll you're know, like imagine like
1: yeah di- hypothetically hypotheti-
0: <laughs> hypothetically imagine like diversity consultants but on on like like on steroids like you know not only you know like maybe maybe not only they like at your workplace they're also like they have like a control chip in your head and you know like they, they they can like they can like steal your children well they can kind of already do that but but like just imagine that it's like even worse than it is now right and then just imagine there's like loads of them and they have loads of political power and what's happening is you know that the whole edifice of civilization is just sort of collapsing. There isn't enough stuff. There isn't enough food. But there's like a gazillion diversity consultants. And this this kind of thing is, you know, sort of maybe sort of you could say is what happened to the Soviet Union. Uh, it's a bit more complicated. But basically, like, you know, there were a lot of secret police. There were there was never a shortage of secret police in East Germany, right? Um, even as the system was collapsing. Um, and then you know when you like when this thing does collapse. Right, and you're then trying to restart the second time. Um, You know, yes, you will have more technology, but probably, you know, you won't be able to expand into, um, you know, there won't be a frontier, right? Like, imagine there is a sort of global collapse, um, back down to sort of like the lifestyle of the early 20th century. Uh, People are still going to have AK-47s, right? People are still going to have, you know, all of these weapons all over the world. So maybe you won't be able to get uh, a second age of sale, a second age of exploration, you know, certain... Yeah,
1: and the possible. kind of goodwill, the sort of community, the kind of... Yeah, so... I don't know. The, the kind of civilization right. that, you know, propelled you forward is no longer... Right,
0: there. that's that's no longer possible. So maybe after the first collapse, you just get the sort of... Oscill- you get a sort of dampened oscillation where... Nobody even thinks of launching a rocket to the moon because, like, the competition mm. to just like beat the neighboring tribes who have RPGs and AK 47s on like horseback or something is like too strong. Um, you, you know, I mean, I don't know. No, nobody's really investigated this particularly thoroughly, um, which is itself part of the problem, right? Like, people are considering an AI pause without considering whether this is like. You know, without really seriously considering and, like, seriously researching whether it would ever be possible to restart civilization in the event of a collapse, or what the effect of um, a long-term pause would be on civilization when you have these sort of, you know, dynamics of, you know, sort of producers and extractors. Like, people just aren't thinking about this. People just, like, doing stuff, they're acting emotionally, emotionally. and, you know, the debate is generally low quality. The debate's also kind of low quality on the EAC side, um, which is because EAC people are like, you know, they're mostly not like me. They're not like philosophers. They're like builders. They like literally just do code. Um You know, so when they come up with abstract arguments, they're really bad abstract arguments as opposed to mine that are like, uh, well, I tend to think of mine as, you know, fairly refined, but, uh, you know, the the listener can be the judge of that. But like, I mean, at least I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, So both sides now have bad arguments, right? The EAs are just like, or the, the, the pause types of EA are, you know, saying that we need to align superintelligence when... The AI safety experts say, no, no, we actually probably don't need to do that. Um, and then the EAC people are like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, you know, uh, we worship the thermodynamic god and, uh, you know, destroying the whole human race is fine as long as it increases entropy. And like, you know, their arguments are like worse, right? Um, but they're sort of like accidentally right. EAC has the right vibe. Um, it's just that humans are very good at sensing vibes, they're very good at sensing the right vibe. Humans have a lot of these instincts that are correct and then they come up with justifications for the instinct that are complete bullshit and so i think the e-
1: yeah many such cases many
0: such yeah. cases i think the the EAC sort of just build you know ignore the d-cells vibe is maybe an instinct that is sort of somehow related to this idea of you know civilization must progress in order to stay ahead of its inevitable parasites and rent seekers right um, or, or at least m- maybe that's the case, or maybe it's just true by accident. Well, maybe I'm wrong about the whole thing, but that's that's my interpretation of it. The, the, the actual EAC instinct to build is actually a functional instinct. It's just they can't really explain it properly.
1: Right, right. And I think that's... I mean, what I, what I would say in defense of uh, EACs is that it's mostly... I know. I think that you're definitely right in terms of it's mostly like a justification for like actions, right? The, the actions come first. You know, yes. we're going to run a we're going to run a startup. Here is why we're going to run the startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and you know, should we pause the startup? No, because we want to run the startup. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and, and then
0: you come up with this sort of like uh, you know bullshit.
1: Um... Yeah. Have you seen the article? Um, uh, Sam Hammond put out a new article. And he was talking about just going through, like, the philosophy of, like, Nick Land, you know, Nick Land as, like, the true uh, inheritor of, like, Marxist accelerationism. (laughs) This (laughs) is very funny. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, I I do think, like, in their defense, though, they would say, like, all of this philosophy shit is not actually helping right it it just leads to some of the coordination problems it leads to some of like the obvious you know mistakes that i think you know we we would actually agree about right
0: mm. um well it sort of doesn't matter until it matters right like you know and and the, the weird thing actually is that ai worries about ai risk actually caused openai to happen right like, Sam Altman probably wouldn't have built OpenAI if he hadn't gone to Eliezer's 2015 AI Risk conference in Puerto Rico. Right?
1: Oh, interesting. I, I, I don't know about this Oh, history. you didn't know about uh, this? Go, go more into it? <laughs> so basically... I mean, like, I, I knew I knew about, like, Sam Altman being, like, kind of into AI Risk, but I don't know about, like, the details so, about that. So
0: Eliezer is sort of a little bit gutted about this. The, the way he would put it is that there are these so-called idiot disaster monkeys... Um, who hear about AI risk and they're like, "Oh, this is risky. It must be powerful. We should build this. I should build this. Um, And, you know, that without Eliezer talking so much about AI risk, um, you know, OpenAI probably wouldn't have been started. Well, I guess there was also Shane Legg with DeepMind. But like, you know, this is all kind of like the same intellectual genealogy, right? I mean, you know... Shane Leg comes from Schmidt Huber and Marcus Huter, um, you know, like w- which is connected to a lot of the same people who inspired Eliezer. Like, it's all a very small intellectual family tree. So it all kind of comes from the same place.
1: Um, yeah, like there are not that many people like thinking about AI and like especially like the philosophy yeah, of AI. in, right. Like you know, twenty twelve or whatever. Right. And I, I mean, not, I was I was I was first
0: thing. in touch with Shane in like you know the the two thousands. Right. Uh, be- before he was a DeepMind, when he was still a PhD student. And he recommended that I go and do a PhD with Jürgen you know, Huber, which I turned down because I was worried about AI risk.
1: Oh, damn.
0: Right? Um, which counterintuitively may have been the right thing for me to do, because if I'd just been a PhD... But anyway, I mean, that's just details about my life. But a lot of this stuff is like very um, sort of, you know, incestuous in some sense. It's all connected um so i mean that you know i guess i guess the the point of this though is that the people in the pause movement perhaps haven't thought the implications through especially the implications of how it's bad to get inv- government involved how there could be pretty strong negative consequences of pausing progress that nobody really studies that it's like it isn't anyone's job in particular to warn us about how dangerous um you know like a general pause on all progress would be right and like how much and i you know how much of the progress in the physical world has already been killed off by regulations such that ai is basically like the only thing we have left and in addition it's also the safest thing we have left because if you imagine a bunch of progress in biotechnology or nanotechnology without a bunch yeah. of progress in AI tech, that has much higher existential risk, because you have more power but you have less control.
1: Right. I do think, hmm. I don't. Know. I, I guess like some of the things that can be unlocked, right, that are kind of cracked down on now, but don't don't necessarily need to be cracked on, down on. I'm thinking here of nuclear. Mm-hmm right it might be like you know comparably safer than ai uh, uh and yeah, yeah. at least in the kind of like I, I, far I, future scenario yeah, I,
0: I think nuclear power and flying cars would would both be um you know great if we could have them and we're probably going to get flying cars fairly soon and maybe the nuclear deregulation movement is finally making a little bit of progress um but like i don't think one can hope yeah one can hope i don't even think like you know the parasites have got so strong that even if we completely, even if we had like free energy, infinite free energy, like we still couldn't get to the stars because like you know you'd build your, you'd have your rocket team and they'd be like, oh you know you, it's not diverse enough. We need like these like ninety percent of it needs to be diversity hires and then the rocket would crash. Like you know they like things have gotten worse than they were in the nineteen seventies in terms of how good like, sort of the anti-civilization forces are at breaking things. Um, Yeah, do you you know, like, what, do you you have an idea of, like, why that is? I think it's just because, you know, if you want to, like, rent-seek or parasitize a system, it takes a while to, like, get optimal at that. And parasites and rent-seekers never do the work in advance. So the longer a system exists, the more... These things are going to grow. The more, like, it's just inherently like time right. Is it's just, just like inherently a cyclical on their thing. side, right? Time is inherently on the side of these anti-civilization forces because they can keep finding better ways to rent seek, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is an alternative to like the Peter Thiel argument, right? The Peter Thiel argument says like we need we need growth because we we need to like keep creating new things to, like, scapegoat, right, you know, people, people have a desire to scapegoat things, you know, um, they want to scapegoat each other, Christianity kind of put a stop to that for a while, and now, like, civilization, the only way we kind of stop people from scapegoating each other is we keep having economic progress, Mm -hmm. and then we can kind of take a small slice of that, and that's the scapegoat, yeah, right, um, and, and and maybe, like, it's, it's sort of the opposite, like, the people who are scapegoating, like, would still scapegoat people, but it's just, like, they're, they're just too dumb, right, (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, they're just like, if you you look...
1: They they just can't figure it out as long as the system's changing a bit.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's true, right? I think if you look at the, you know, the the dominant anti-civilization forces, the DEI people, um, you know, the kind of like aggressive trans lobby, um, you know, their ideologies are quite complicated uh, genomes, and it took quite a long time in the latter half of the 20th century to perfect them, right? Um, Yeah. So they just win over time.
1: Right. Yeah, you can think of it as, like, yeah, you can think of it as, like, the kind of System 1 stuff evolves slowly, but it is, like, more, kind of, like... Well, it's not even just... More psychological. It's not even just System 1. It's just,
0: it, it's also, like, you know, if Civilization just appears, like, DEI isn't going to, like, appear on Day 2. It's going to take a while for you know, the right academics to write all of these books and to spread that knowledge and to, like, you know, get activists fired up and all of this stuff, right? Like, it takes time to build the machine that destroys civilization. It doesn't appear instantly.
1: Sure, yeah. Um... I don't know. I I feel like it's just less rash I- I'm i not sure if you're, you're you're talking about this as, as like a rational machine. um well, sort I would of, definitely sort disagree of so- with that. But even like the simpler version, sorry, go it's on. sort of
0: like self-assembled, right? It's like you know, pe- there was no plan starting, or well, maybe some people would say there was, but I don't think this was the main driver. There wasn't really a plan starting in you know the year 1750 to have uh everyone like with their eyelids forced open in diversity training seminars in 2050 right um it just sort of happened right like you know you people just spontaneously realized that they could get money and status by grifting and you know they had like people whose job was to like make better grift ideologies and you had people whose job was to like implement them and these people had to like find each other um and and it's like a whole like, it's like, it's like a genome, right? It's like, it's it's almost like you have a population of, say, bacteria or something. It'll take a while for a bacteriophage to evolve that predates them, right? Um, so I think sort of various anti-civilization forces follow the same rules. Like, and it's, again, it's not just the DEI stuff. It's also like, you know, probably some of the more aggressive forms of, um, you know, mercenary capitalism. Uh, you know, like first somebody had the idea of companies and how they could benefit civilization. And then, you know, at some point later on, people had the idea of like leveraged buyouts and how you could basically, uh, you know, use like complicated um, sort of capital structures to like just do rent extraction uh, from, from companies. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, th- I think like it, it takes time for people to put all of that mechanism together. And because it takes time that means that civilization just sort of gets worse over time as assuming that it doesn't become more productive or larger or whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, so, so you're just like, or I say just, but I'm not dismissing it. So you're painting this as sort of an inevitable kind of civilizational process, uh, not sure if i agree with that like i mean maybe we we had like stable states of civilization i I mean like you you could argue like it's not you know it's never like 100 percent stable or whatever but we had kind of civilizational arrangements that were more stable than this that didn't experience this degree of parasitic parasitization nearly as quickly Mm. right um yeah i mean so i guess the question is why that is well you
0: had something like say the roman empire and i'm not by any means an expert on the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. No,
1: no, all, all people, obviously all people who talk about the Roman Empire are experts on yeah, the Roman yeah, Empire. Yeah, yeah. There um, are simply no other people <laughs> who discuss the topic at all. There's no <laughs> casual interest. All interest in the Roman Empire is rigorous, rigorous academic yeah, discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but like, you know, you could, you could paint a picture where, you know, first it was kind of growing and things were going well. And, you know, over time uh things went less well um and maybe that had something to do with the kinds of people who end up you know propagating in a place where there are suddenly lots of uh resources and positions of power and privilege that just sort of don't usually exist um now you know it's it's a controversial but like this also seems to happen to like a lot of historical empires right I mean, this is Samo's. This is more of uh, Samo. Yeah, yeah, Sort of, uh, so- <coughs> sort of territory. Pardon me, but like, you know, his his thing is like, well, why can't we make an immortal civilization? Why do they all end up collapsing? Um, and if you just ignore all of the actual details of that, and you just think of them as populations of rabbits and foxes. Um, then that actually kind of explains it to to a decent degree, right? With some like simple math models, you know, like the thing sort of expands, like the Roman empire like expanded and like it hit a natural geographical barrier uh, with, you know, like the the scope of the Mediterranean basin and maybe some like, you know, some other things that sort of basically prevented expansion. And then once it stopped expanding, it like, you know, this sort of like weight of, uh, you know, unproductive extractors sort of got too big and caused it to crash. Um, but like, you know, then you have like, you know, Nero, uh, playing the fiddle while Rome burns, which is kind of exactly the situation where the rabbits have all died off and you have this huge population of foxes left over. Um, now, you know, I don't want to overstep my areas of expertise, but it's certainly a bit suspicious that things turned out that way. Um, if you just have these simple models, um, they seem to qualitatively predict that. And- we yeah, should, I, I we, think should way, wear... we should do way more research on this like we should we should we should be running simulations of millions of civilizations to like get a probability distribution of how this stuff works at like varying levels of granularity which we're not really doing
1: um, well, well like that's that's what we're doing right we're we're one of the civilizations boom <laughs> mind blown <laughs> I mean like why do you think you know the the shit we're dealing with obviously made up obviously like some weird edge case that like some guy thought it would be funny to put in the in the training set <laughs> let's give them a
0: plague and you know AGI in the same year and see how they cope with it like yeah, yeah. um
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. But but you gotta enjoy it, you know. You got uh, other otherwise you're otherwise you're like you're you're default dead. Yeah. You know you're not um, you're not provided. No, the, the, the worst part is that it's of course like all scientific experiments for entertainment value. <laughs> um, but um, like I I I, uh, I I someone's writing a grant based on on this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, go on. But I mean,
0: I I do think that we, if people are taking decisions to affect the course of history there should be a decent amount of effort into understanding or at least trying to get a probability distribution over what the effects of those decisions will be and the current EAC versus EA like accelerate versus pause debate is like really um low quality and not truth-seeking Um, and I think we should have a truth-seeking version of it, and I think a pretty decent prior for that debate is that civilizations do in fact tend to collapse um, just historically as a matter of historical fact, so we should probably a priori assume ours is the same, and that the result of that collapse will be very bad for us, um, and that a global civilization collapsing is unprecedented, and you know, we we don't really have a great model for, um, you know, what the aftermath of that would look like. But certainly, when you look at collapsed civilizations that used to be great, a lot of them just are shit and never recover. Like, you know, um, like Greece is sort of famous for this. Um, that, like, you know,
1: well, you're not not a fan of the Holy Roman Empire.
0: Um, well, the Holy Roman Empire wasn't the same civilization as Rome. It was. It was. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, it just was like I'm the just barbarian yeah, tribes from outside Rome LARPing as Romans, and it actually worked, right? Um, but uh, you know, like we we don't know how bad a global collapse could be in terms of aftermath, um, and you know maybe it's not that bad and maybe it's pretty terrible we should probably at least think about that a little bit if we're ever if we're ever, if we have our finger near the pause button we should probably be investigating these things to some extent i i would love to do that like i would love to do that kind of work more than i would love to work on you know modified uh, versions of gradient descent to try and find um you know clean neural network architectures because i think you know the the kind of big picture civilizational scale stuff is something where I've got more of an advantage and fewer people are going to go and do that. And it's like, you know, it's easier to do technical research than big picture research. So I would love to do that. But I think there is something else I want to work on that's sort of even more urgent, which is solving the coordination problem. Because like, like whatever the result of that is, you still want to solve the coordination problem.
1: Yeah. So like the problem with this is i'm not sure like like you kind of point out this problem and like i don't i I don't think i disagree with the problem it just feels very unsolvable Mm. (laughs) like like if you especially if you reduce it to this like population dynamics thing like you know we we have not had a solution to like the population dynamics thing right I mean I guess you can like you know take out some of the wolves and you can just like you know kill some wolves um mm-hmm. and, and, and you can get equilibrium that way but like there's, there's no real
0: Uh
1: yeah I mean that, that's that, right? if you
0: if you look at the po- if you look at it in terms of the population dynamics thing it does look pretty nasty um but there have been like creative solutions to problems like that uh like for example the way they effectively cured uh AIDS is with so they so I don't know if you know this, but, you know, heart, highly active antiretroviral therapy, um, like people had like drug A that would, you know, suppress the HIV virus and they had drug B and they had drug C. And what they would do, I think, is they would like try patient on drug A. It would work for a bit. It would suppress the viral population. Um, but then the virus would evolve resistance, it would come back up, and then they'd do B, and they'd do C, and after the virus had res- evolved resistance to C, then the, like, they couldn't do anything, the patient would just die, right? Um, and then right. somebody had the bright idea of, like, why don't we do all three at the same time, and it will suppress the population of the virus so much that the virus will no longer have enough um, entities to evolve resistance to any of the uh, drugs, because the rate of evolution of the virus is proportional to its population size, so if you can reduce the number of these rent extractors sufficiently, then their population will be too small for them to be able to evolve better rent extraction techniques. So maybe there right. is something like that that you can that you can do, but I think probably it's it's actually cleaner to. Um, you know, just build like fundamentally better systems of coordination, which just make rent extraction much, 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 much less attractive. Um,
1: but but how do you, how do we build the, like, that's the thing. It, well, it seems for, like a circle. How do we build right, the, but, the but better for, coordination? For one
0: thing, AI is actually great in that respect, because suddenly it removes a bunch of constraints about how humans think and behave, right? You can have AI-based governance, and not just for the singularity, but just for small-scale things like AI-based governance for some kind of crypto protocol or something like that, right? Uh, or for a charter city, right? You know, you know, there's this sort of big movement sure. now that I'm sort of uh, interested in of like startup cities and Balaji is doing it. I think probably one of the things that may enable that to be, um, you know, a 10x improvement on existing cities is to not have people ruling them, to have AIs ruling them, Right because you just like cut out a whole layer of potential rent extraction opportunities by doing that. Um, So, so actually the existence of AI radically expands the solution space for us. The way, the direction my mind has changed over 2023 is like less government, more libertarian, more build new solutions. Um, you know, the, the solution space has radically expanded at the same time as sort of the problems have got worse. Um, so we should really be looking for new solutions. Um, one one of those, I think, is AI-based governance for things like startup cities, um, you know, just, just as a place to play with this. I mean, that's not going to solve all our problems, but, uh, and, you know, in terms of solving uh, the AI control problem or the AI safety problem, you know, a big aspect of that is going to be to build Ways for AI companies to coordinate with each other to get the you know Pareto optimal square in the payoff matrix, rather than the Nash equilibrium where they all like you know build the most dangerous possible systems. Um, and I think there's a, a timer that's sort of <coughs> sorry, excuse me, a timer that's sort of ticking down on that. Um, in terms of the longer we, the further we go into sort of AI capabilities. Um, the more urgent it becomes to get cooperation between different AI companies and different, you know, uh, actors in the space.
1: I guess. I mean, like, there's a different reading of this where, like, you kind of get a natural slowdown. This is like a Peter Thiel, you know, mm-hmm. value is competed away. You see, like, if, if you know, theoretically, you're able to get higher margins on... Uh, on compute, you know, then there would be more investment in compute and, you know, more people would be, uh, you know, there'd be more, it'd be easier for NVIDIA to raise capital to get even more of a monopoly. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you have, you know, you, you have competitors, the, the, the investment is more, uh, more distributed, you know, the, 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 just like the cost of inference is just rapidly going down. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting short-term uh, equilibrium right where it's not necessarily true that that competition uh makes things better in this case definitely makes things cheaper mm. right but not necessarily makes things like you know categorically better
0: well the what i'm talking about more is cooperating over safety standards
1: right sure sure yeah but yeah i don't think those things happen in a vacuum i think it's very much you know somebody ne-
0: someone needs to do the work on that basically someone needs to create excuse me an organization that's like dedicated to causing cooperation between these different actors
1: sure that's one way to put it i guess um yeah is that the benevolent ai i i forget the the full acronym uh benevolent ai safety institute that the basilisk thing i i can, you know what I, i'm talking I, about i
0: cannot i cannot comment on that i'm sorry Okay,
1: neither neither confirm or deny. No neither, no comments. Or deny okay. That. Yeah. Okay. That that's great. That's great. Um Okay. That that kind of blunts the next line of questioning, I guess. So, let me think about this. Yeah, I mean that is the last the, that is the last bit of prep. You know, I've tried to dance around it a little bit, but I don't think we're going to get there. Um, do you want to answer the last question? Sure. The, the last question of the show. Go ahead. Yeah. So everyone gets this question: What is one thing that is too much chaos and needs more order? One thing that is too much order and needs more chaos, and preferably something we haven't talked about today. So
0: something that that has too much chaos and needs more order. Yes. Um, hmm. Ooh, that's a tough question, actually. Um, something that has too much chaos. I mean, I guess... Uh, I don't really have a particularly strong answer to this, but it does seem that um, geopolitics at the moment has a little bit too much chaos um, with, uh, you know, like russia ukraine like potentially taiwan the middle east all of this geopolitical chaos is probably something that is not a good thing in my opinion
1: yeah i mean uh, i would say so very few people who are pro um more geopolitical chaos eh. yeah.
0: well i mean
1: yeah I I guess you know maybe it's not as unanimous as I would uh as I would think but yeah um then, makes sense and, and uh yeah ca- much, more 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 chaos what, what do you want more much chaos order needs more chaos yeah
0: yeah um you know potentially um like actually maybe this is kind of breaking the rules it's something we spoke about but like I do think the AI safety debate certainly has had too much order for the past 25 years. And a lot of that order has come from one man, which is Eliezer. Um, and it's like, you know, it's extremely insightful order and like lots of interesting things, but it's also like massively incorrect, um, and excludes other perspectives to too much of a degree. Um,
1: so you're saying, uh, We need more diversity in the AI debate.
0: We we need more diversity of, uh, I think we, I think unironically, we need more diversity of thought in AI safety because, you know, like, and not not just Eliezer, but to a large degree, but like a lot of people who were early to this, um, had like, you know, say 60% great ideas, um... And, you know, but the 40% that's wrong is, like, really wrong and is causing, like, a lot of harm.
1: Yeah, and I do think, like, the... This is the thing in machine learning in general. It's weird because maybe, like, me personally, I've moved away from this. But, like, when I was first into machine learning, I was very into the kind of pure math stuff, the kind of um, combinatorial optimization, Mm -hmm. um, semi-definite optimization stuff. And to, to a large extent, like it was more like this before, but to a large extent, that stuff is not really applied in like current, you know, AI applications. It's more like, you know, making the hardware data type slightly more efficient. That, 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 that's a lot more important right about now than like the pure math stuff. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I, I think in, in, and, in general, our sort of debate about the future of humanity uh, and how that relates to AI Needs more chaos in the sense that it needs more ideas because, you know, I, I, yeah. I, 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 this I, is like the
1: other yeah. thing. I, I really want to write this article, but I don't. I, I don't have quite the right framing for it. Which is like the machine learning space. Like needs a lot more grifters. Like it has the opposite problem as like the crypto thing. Like no one in the AI space can sell. Maybe Sam Altman. Sam Altman is perhaps the only person in the AI space that can sell. Right. Everyone else is like. Somehow more autistic than me. (laughs) So we need more, we need more MBAs. Okay.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: uh, Yeah. I mean, in terms of,
0: in terms of more chaos, um, you know, I do think the debate has become far too ordered on, on this battle line of pause versus accelerate. And people are, Oh yeah. People are recruiting too many soldiers who like are good at like, going to protests or like posting memes but they don't actually think about this stuff and that's really bad right
1: yeah it's very funny because this is also like not optimal politically either mm-hmm. um yeah but you know i'm happy to have you on maybe happy to, to contribute I mean, maybe, towards maybe we can contribute. increase of chaos Maybe we
0: can contribute to the increase of uh you know different ideas, and maybe these ideas are. I mean, maybe everything I said today was wrong, I don't know. Um, but uh, this is my take on it right now. I do think, um, the picture of AI safety that a lot of people have is wrong. Um, people are ignoring the downsides of government, people are ignoring the downsides of stagnation. Um, EAC has the right vibe for the but they don't have the justification. Um, and the, you know the picture is actually different than what most people think it really you know than what most people think it is awesome now uh before you go where do we find you um right now I'm on Twitter at rockccomich um but hoping to expand
1: okay that's all uh awesome awesome okay thanks for coming on it. and you know if you at home would like to contribute to uh, the chaos, please let me know. Uh, leave a comment, you know. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for listening to my episode with Rocco Mich. If you enjoyed the show, then please let a friend know in person or online, just like I said at the very beginning. You can also help by subscribing to the From the New World newsletter. That funding also goes to help support the show, and we will get you a lot of bonus content, like the post-podcast reflections, that you'll see after every normal episode, if you're a paid subscriber. Other than that, you can also help us out by leaving a positive review, suggesting future guests, or sending me an email. And all of that can be found below. You can also check out Rocco, what he's doing on Twitter, where you'll find all of his future projects as well. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast for free to get another great episode next Monday. See you then!